0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered Internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, go. or attending one live, go! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at Cox.com internet. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement of the restrictions apply. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a screaming shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us the goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're well, Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics!
1: Hello, Ward. Hello, Eric. How's your weekend? Not great. No. No, it was uh, my daughter's birthday. That part was great. Oh, yeah, great. What'd you do for the birthday? Well, we went to the worst
0: place on the planet
1: Six Flags Magic Mountain.
0: Ooh, uh, immediately, I just smell urine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, that's a good, that's a good
1: simplistic explanation of the overall smell it's just urine and Oakland Raiders jerseys (laughs) it's just and those rides are nasty like I don't go on any rides although I did go on the little a little like water boat thing that is very tame and then they convinced me to go on something called the gold rusher which made me
0: dry heave for 30 minutes Afterwards? are you not are you not good with like roller coasters and stuff like that no can't can't do a <laughs> merry-go-round <laughs> well it, to me i have more trouble with the little carnival rides that go around and around yeah rather than like a big roller coaster I'm pretty I, i'll
1: be it. honest with you just talking about it is honestly making me queasy <laughs> um have i never told you my universal studios story uh, it's not jumping to mind well let's let's get into it i'll i'll tell it um so since I was a child, when I went to my first carnival with my parents, we realized that I had a severe sensitivity to motion sickness. Sure. And uh, and I'm just incapable of, of even looking at like a merry-go-round. I can't even look at it. Do you have trouble in the back seat of a car? I have trouble in the front seat of a car if I'm not driving. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, used to have real trouble on planes too. Whenever you got that feeling like your stomach, goes down, you know, which doesn't happen often on a plane, unless you're dying. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, several years ago, when I was uh, working at Warner Brothers and working on the Ellen DeGeneres show, it was the early days of the Ellen show when it was not a, a success yet. It, we, we, it was a little precarious and we were trying to figure out ways to bring in more revenue. And so one of the ways was doing product integrations. And we were part of the NBC Universal family. And we thought, what about pitching NBC Universal on Ellen going down to Universal Studios in Florida and shooting a week of shows down there? The truth is, Ellen didn't want to do it. She had no interest in doing it. But we thought maybe there would be some money involved and get us some promotion. And Universal was all about it. But Ellen was not all about it. Mm -hmm. So Universal was like, we're going to convince you guys how great this is. It's going to be great content come on down, we're gonna give you a VIP tour and show you just the amazing things at Universal Studios that are available to you. So I led this contingent of people from, uh, from Warner Brothers and from the studio to go basically negotiate it and, and hear from them what they were willing to do for us. So we go down there, they put us up in a hard rock hotel. They found out like who each of us loved musically And then put us in an appropriate room for that Billy Joel room. I was in the Billy Joel room. (laughs) They had Billy Joel bobbleheads in the room. They had pictures of Billy Joel up. His music was playing when I got in the room. It was crazy. (laughs) And we get there, you know, I can't remember exactly when, but I think we took a red eye and got in, you know, early morning. And then had a couple hours then they gave us, uh, they told us to meet in the lobby. They took us on a shuttle and took us to the front of Universal Studios. And they walk us in and there's like maybe six of us from, from the Warner Brothers slash Allen side. And we walk into Universal Studios and they have gathered all of the characters that they have at Universal to welcome us. <laughs> so we're walking through this like lineup of weird characters because it's not Disneyland, right? Right. So Universal just has like random characters that they've made licensing deals with, you know, from various studios, including their
0: own. Yeah, it's a
1: hodgepodge. And the first thing they say is, all right, we have this fairly new attraction. We're going to take you guys to it so you can see this is an amazing attraction. We're going to go on The Mummy. And I said, listen, guys, I'll, I'll just wait for you afterwards. I can't do this. And the main guy is like, no, 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 Eric, this one is really simple. Families do it. But we think it's going to be a really good one that Ellen would really like. So you you need to do it. But promise you, you're not going to get sick. I'm like, you don't understand. I get sick if I get up too fast. Like, this is not good for me. He's like, no, no, you got to do it. And also, I was trying to I didn't want to be the sissy right off the top. Right. I mean, people would figure that out soon enough. (laughs) Sure. But why do the work for them? Yeah. So. I went on the the mummy ride and it was one of those simulation rides. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. So the first thing that happens, have you been to the mummy ride at Universal in Florida? No. Okay. So the first thing that happens is you're in like, I don't know, some vehicle and you drop to the center of the earth, basically. That's what it feels like. And, And you're not moving. It's just simulation. But the second that that happened, it just, it, it just came over me like a, like a wave from an ocean. Yeah. And I knew it was over. <laughs> and so I just put my head down. I just put my head down and I got through it without vomiting, but I knew that vomiting was inevitable. So we get off the ride and the guy sees me and he goes, are you okay? I go, no, I'm not. Go, no, I'm not. I'm just gonna need some time. And he's like, all right, well, we're going to the next one is Shrek 4D. <laughs> I'm like what is I'm like, I already don't like the sound of it. He's like, this one doesn't move at all. It's just a movie. That's all it is. You're just watching a movie. I'm like, all right. So I go into the theater. I sit in like the back row. And the first thing that happens in Shrek 4D is the Shrek version of Tinker Bell, like flies out, like right in front of your face. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being totally queasy and nauseous and I just, I've got these stupid glasses on and Tinkerbell is right in front of me. And I just do this. <laughs> I'm just trying to swat Tinkerbell away and she like sneezes and water gets sprayed on you.
0: <laughs> that's the, the, the floor that's, that's the, the floor. The
1: that's the four. The second that happened, <laughs> I knew it was over. I had to get out. So I run out of the theater and you know, it's really dark in the theater, but then it's it's 11 a.m. And that theater opens up to, at this time, a freaking parade of princesses is going by. And the bathroom is on the other side of the parade. So this princess is like bestowing me with her wand. I don't know what's going, and I am vomiting in my mouth. And I just, I go through the parade with vomit coming out of my mouth. Oh, God, I explode into the bathroom. I take my time, you know, I clean up, I come back out. I'm not feeling good at all. I know I'm done. I know I'm done for a while. Yeah, I come yeah. out. The whole group is waiting. Well, Eric, what's wrong? Did Tinkerbell make you throw up? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shrek 4D, put it over the edge. And they're like, all right, well, we've got all these meetings and a lunch. And I'm like, listen, here's what's going to happen. This bench right here outside, I'm going to lay down on this bench (laughs) and I'm going to need a little time. You guys go do whatever you need to do. They're like, well, we can't really do the meetings without you. I'm like, just do the rest of the rides and then come back and get me. But I have to go down. Yeah. So I lay down on the bench probably around noon, 1145 noon. They come back and wake me up at three (laughs) o'clock. I was just like a homeless guy sleeping. I'm wearing like a button down and a tie. I'm like just like sleeping on a bench outside, <laughs> outside Shrek 4D. All the meetings didn't happen, Not, nothing happened. I mean, it was, and it just became, by the time I got back to LA, I mean, everybody, in, it seemed in the whole studio knew that I had just embarrassed myself by <laughs> vomiting like on princesses at Universal Studios. So, no Ward. I don't do well on
0: rides. At got all. it.
1: Got it. So you did
0: a lot of watching and waiting at Six Flags for the exactly. birthday. Exactly. That's yeah. all
1: I did. That's yeah. all I did. It was, but the good news is it wasn't too hot, but I did think to myself, those rides, like, I would just watch people exiting the rides, and I would say two out of five people were crying
0: wow like that's
1: they these rides just kill you Stella got like a concussion on one I mean like
0: they these rides are brutal are you a ride guy I am the one well you know what it's like it's sometimes it's a sometimes a straight up big cool roller coaster yes the ones where it's more three-dimensional and like they're shaking your seat while the yeah. s- screen flies by you no I remember okay. going to the one and only King's Island in Cincinnati. And we did the Beast. We did the Vortex. We did uh I forget what the stand-up one is. I think it's like the Serpent or the Oh the King Cobra, right? Did all of those. And I mean I could feel like a little nudge, a little woozy, but the the fun far outweighed the the price I paid. But then there's this one that's just like a, a, a dome, right? It's just a dome right on the ground, and you go in, and everybody sits on the floor in this dome, and then the whole dome is like this all-encompassing screen, and then they take you on a, a, on a roller coaster, much like the three or four I just did with no problem, but because it's it's just fucking with your mind it's just not real it's not natural my body gets so confused that that was one where i got so nauseous midway through i couldn't even stand up and walk out yeah i had to crawl on all fours and just like again like kind of burst out into the daylight which is then blinding you did you vomit I did not puke, I held, but it was like, there were some dry heaves there. That's the closest I've come. Most recently, we did California Adventure, the Avengers ride, and that one's pretty rough because it's, uh, it used to be the, the, the terror drop. Or whatever, the tower of terror. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. All you're doing is they're just that's, jumping you up and down. Not, the and human body only, isn't
1: meant to do that.
0: Yeah. And so, but I kind of knew I'm like, I'm definitely too old for this. This isn't gonna go well, but my my son loves it and my daughter's terrified by it, and my wife's about like me. So we're all gonna do it together and and just sort of accept the idea that I'm going to be scared and sick all at the same time and try to enjoy that. And that's really what happened because I'm just sitting here trying, like, not to pass out, having a cold sweat, getting nauseous, but then just looking at my son having the time of his life. And I'm like, this is totally worth it. It's not. It's not worth
1: it. It's not worth it. I hate them. I think they're evil. I'll tell you this.
0: I'll tell you this, and I've never been able to really take advantage of this except one time under different circumstances, the one thing that gets rid of that awful, nauseous feeling like that is a hit of marijuana. Oh, Jesus. I mean, good Lord. It's, it's true. Nothing else in the world. Like, maybe there's some suppository you can shove up your butt that helps, like, after a half hour, because that, like, that could help you with nausea. But the only thing that instantly cures that, just a quick little hit. Well, there's your public service announcement for (laughs) marijuana on Hoosier
1: Hysterics. Um,
0: Make it legal, man. Yeah.
1: So it was Stella's birthday. She was happy. But I remember leaving it thinking, even if Six Flags Over Magic Mountain wanted to be a sponsor of the Hoosier Hysterics podcast, I would not take their money. That's where I draw the line. Great. That's where I draw the line. But where I don't draw the line is when we are proud to be Powered by? Yes. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs>
0: Communitycars.com Sponsor of the pod, Ujur Communitycars.com Illusion <laughs> engines talk with Warden Eric. Well, you kind you of staggered your way up to it. I'm like, is there something oh, no. more? I was smooth. I was smooth about it. Mm, seamless mm, mm, mm. all right well look the 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 music has probably faded away completely by now so we can get into it we can talk about how we have never ever 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 gotten nauseous in a community cars car
1: no you won't you won't they they do they must put marijuana just smoke in the car to help you out <laughs> communitycars.com look we talk about it every week And almost on a weekly basis now, we're getting messages from people that say they're in the market for a car, they're calling Community Cars, and they had an incredible experience. And we've heard it from several people now in different ways. Some people that have gone into the dealership and love how they were treated with respect and not felt like they had to take a shower afterwards after dealing with the great staff at Community Cars. People that called in from Florida to buy a used car for their daughter who's in Bloomington. People that called in like a goon from Long Island who called in and bought his car and spec'd it out the way that he wanted to. And it's going to be delivered to him any way you want to buy a car.
0: Communitycars.com. Oh, yeah. We should just do that now instead of the whole straight no chaser thing. I'm just waiting for you to weigh in now and see if and see if you want to have. No, a redo I think, it, after I think last you week. nailed it. I think you said everything. I think we can get out now uh, with no further incident. All right, so let's
1: hit what's going on in the world of IU sports. I think that some, you know, it's a slow time, obviously. Recruiting is is picking up. We've got AAU circuit on the basketball side. There was the great event at Huber Farms down, down in southern Indiana, where Coach Woody and Coach Tom Allen were, and Scott Dolson was. Uh some headlines that I would point out that came out of that. Number one is Scott Dolson spoke. And one of the things Scott Dolson spoke about. To that group of people, which was about a 1,000 strong, Mm -hmm. was the importance of NIL. Oh, yeah. And you did specifically call out our Hoosier Hysterics NIL collective, called out Hoosiers for Good as well, but talked to that group about how important NIL is for Indiana University's
0: athletic success. Straight from the top, people. You're not hearing it from us. You're hearing it from Scott Dolson. This is no longer an outlier. This
1: is is not a thing that like some shady, sketchy people do. No, this has the full-throated support of the IU Athletic Department. It's why we started it at the beginning, because we knew that it was going to be important for IU's athletic success. HHNIL.com, you can go on and make any contribution you want. If you want to do a dollar, go ahead and do a dollar. And if you want to do $10,000, do it. If you want to sign up for a monthly recurring, which a lot of people have done, 10 bucks, 25 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month. It is a huge help. And again, every penny that goes to HHNIL.com goes to NIL deals with IU student athletes. We are primarily focused on IU basketball. We will make some football deals. We will make some IU women's basketball deals. We will be opportunistic on those things, but our goal is to get iu basketball back to the top of the mountain and nil is going to be a reason that it does return there so we need to compete in that landscape we we thank everybody who has contributed so far but we're just in the beginning you know moments of this battle and we need to to continue to wage this war weekly uh until it changes and it doesn't seem
0: like it's going to change anytime soon no no and it is it's really about sustainability Because you may have a few other universities that have just some fat cats that are just like, look, we'll take care of this for the next 10 years. Don't even worry about it. Uh, Maybe we'll get into that situation. That would be a great situation to be in. But as it is now, we need as many people as humanly possible, making those contributions as often as possible in whatever amount they can do. And the monthly ones are great because then we kind of know what our, our operating budget is at a minimum um, from month to month and going forward. And then, you know, it's just when when we're looking at, uh, let's say, all these recruits, and I think we kind of get into that next about how good a job this staff is doing at identifying talent maybe even before the rest of the country is. Um, those those guys have to be hearing from our current roster that they're being taken care of year after year. Not just, oh, yeah, last year was good, this year not so much. It's like we, we have to build on what we did last year. And as other universities and boosters figure out how to do this and maximize their contributions, this is going to be just as competitive as what's going on on the field.
1: Totally, totally agree. Uh, Other comments at Huber Farms that, that were uh, compelling. Woody talked a lot about opponents in the future, Mm -hmm. talked about, you know, that he's been talking to Kenny Payne about getting the Louisville series going, talked about wanting to bring the Kentucky series back, which seems more challenging because Calipari's a bitch and doesn't want to play us. I mean, that's what it is right now. And the truth is where his program is, he doesn't need the game. And, and so, you know, I think that one's going to get harder to get together, but You know, there was recent news that in 2023-24, we're going to be playing in New York alongside Texas and UConn. And there was one other that I'm forgetting who was in that group. Do you remember?
0: Texas, UConn. Uh, Was it Alabama?
1: I don't remember, to be honest with you.
0: But a good field. Another good field. Another marquee game
1: in a marquee venue in a marquee city that will be a nationally televised game. Those are huge. I mean, those are just absolutely huge for you know i have used this phrase before to be cool and to be nationally relevant to you know you dress for the job you want Mm -hmm. and we want to be in the conversation with duke kentucky kansas north carolina villanova ucla you know we want to be in that conversation well to be in that conversation you got to play these big boy games michigan state has owned it from the Big Ten's perspective for the last 15 years. They play in these big time games and they are the national program and they've had success. So, uh,
0: although it's funny is I don't think they've had much success in those games. Well, they they tend not to do so well at the beginning of the year. And here's the thing, and we saw it last year in terms of our, our team growing and what you really hope is that you have a coach where you see the team get better throughout the season and that is classic Izzo. And I think it's like, yeah, jump into the fire, Go toe-to-toe with the best in the country right out of the gate. And then both you and the players know how far you have to go until March to be really ready to compete in those games. And for Woody, I think, you know, he's got that swag and he knows it's it's cool to play in these big national games. But there's a very practical side of like, well, if we and we all really want to be going past past the second weekend of the tournament. And that's where you get into these big time programs. So go play Arizona on a neutral court. I mean, like really go, go test yourself at Kansas. And then one, you'll be more battle ready for, for big 10. And I think you're going to do better there because of that. And then you'll, you'll uh, kind of have everything lined up for a March run because you won't be surprised by how these teams play in a different style or just are at Or another just, the level. Level yeah, just the, the level of talent. Yeah, the athleticism that they you don't see in the Big Ten.
1: Uh, by the way, ACC Big Ten Challenge is happening. That's a guarantee. So we know we're going to get a pretty good opponent there. And there's a lot of buzz that it could be North Carolina.
0: And that should be in Bloomington because we've been on the road the last two years. That one, I think they've been told it will be in Bloomington.
1: Yep. And then I'm told the Gavit Games is going to happen. We could play Villanova. I mean, like, there's a real chance, but even if it's not Villanova, Big East has some good basketball teams. That's four. If it's Villanova, it's a national, re, nationally relevant game. But even if it's not, like, if it's like Creighton or something, it's still a good game. You know, that's a, a is Creighton oh. in the Big East? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's four big time non conference games out of what thirteen? You know, so that's awesome. I mean, that is really awesome. So the, the non conference season is gonna be so much fun because like almost every week we're gonna have something to look forward to, you know, as as far as like a marquee game. So really excited about that. Um we're one we're one week closer, Ward. I mean, just in a few days now, once this comes out to the freshman reporting and June
0: practices getting started, which is exciting as hell. Well, and I mean, I guess we could say that there's been a little bit of excitement added to the program after Trace came on the show. Yes. <laughs> you know, like if for, I, our reaction was much the same as the listeners, uh, which is just like, holy shit, this guy. This guy is is ready to put it all on his shoulders and take them all to the next level. So that really is just making the offseason that much more fun and optimistic. Because if if that's the we we know we got Woody there on the uh, on the coaches side of things and Trace on the player side. If that's who's leading us in to this 22-23 season. Boy, I mean, I'm trying to remember how people, how excited people were before Yogi's senior year. Like, certainly after we beat North Carolina and Kansas, we were all going crazy, you know. But, but even what was the mood? You know, I think in general people had had already soured on Crean, so I don't think there's been this of a universally positive feeling around the program since uh, going into Cody and Vicks last year.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, that, that year was going into that year was a weird year. We were not expected to be as good as we ended up being um, for Yogi's senior year. So I agree with you. This is as exciting as it's been in a decade. And I mean, obviously the Archie era just never, there was excitement because of Romeo, but I think we all knew we didn't have the talent around him. Uh, And, and then that quickly fizzled when the team just sucked, Yeah, you know, but but you're right. There is more excitement than ever. I do want to say something. There was some controversy because Trace was very honest about, you know, he was honest on our show, and then many of those questions got followed up on on the press conference that he did the next day. And I think there were some former players that, like, took exception in some way to maybe some of the stuff Trace said. And and then I there were some postings on social media and on the message boards of people really all, all up in arms about, oh, my God, what did christian say what did parker Durer, rob say I, I don't give a shit what they say they're not hoosiers anymore i'm not wishing them ill i like rob i like his family a lot rob's mom is wonderful i'd give her a big hug if i saw her again and i hope rob does well and rob gave us four years and worked hard for four years uh and graduated so god bless rob Finnessy for what he did as a hoosier but as far as like them weighing in on anything about the current indiana team i don't care i don't care at all not one bit you you know that i
0: don't <laughs> well i know but but we're on a podcast where you have to articulate it so people can well, hear it here's how i will articulate it i i got glimpses of this because i only really catch anything coming from social media when it like spills into the pigs boards right that's that's my social media, and. I'm like, well clearly, whether it be from the players, these former players, uh, and what they heard or heard from somebody that they heard, or how people are interpreting what these former players did, all i can see is like this has been misconstrued this is misinterpreted like trace through nobody under the bus specifically at all and just basically said this is this is how we're going to do this going forward so i thought it was it was totally classy and and direct what he intended for this year's team without being at all specific or throwing shade at former teammates i didn't i didn't get that vibe at all as we were doing that interview
1: And also, what would you rather have? You want a guy coming out and giving cliche answers. You know, we all got to be pushing in the same direction. We're going to take it one day at a time. We're going to give it 110%. Like, I don't want to hear any of that anymore. I'm tired of that stuff. That's boring. Trace was honest. Trace was as honest as he could be without, like you say, throwing anybody under the bus.
0: That's why I think everybody freaked out. It was so refreshing and exciting.
1: I totally agree. Uh, so look, man, we're getting closer to basketball practices starting. Obviously summer is a big time for football and you know, that season starts not too far away and opening up with Illinois. So we're going to find out pretty quickly if we've got a shot at having a good season or not, you lose that Illinois game to start the season and they're going to be a lot of people very upset about what might be about to happen, but I'm positive about what Tom Allen's doing. He got some good recruiting news, got a quarterback. Uh, from Ohio that committed, got a, a a guy who I think was a wide receiver before and now converting to a D-back, a, a pretty big-time athlete. A D-bag? From, huh? A D-bag? <laughs> <laughs> a D-back. Uh, okay, so better. just really, really excited. Uh, and Jordan I mean, Hulls, by the way, is continuing to fill it up in Germany.
0: They're still going?
1: They're still going. I think they lost last night or the night before, but he scored 25 points or 26 points. You wonder, like, does he have a game like that? And go, what am I
0: doing? Giving this up? <laughs> He's going out on top, baby. Going out on top, and and look, uh, we're going into a game seven for Vic and the Miami Heat. Thanks in large part to Jimmy Butler, but Vic is really doing his thing. Love to see him get in the finals. Um, but honestly, you know, I, I I do want to touch on the whole Xavier Booker leap in the rankings, and sure. and look, there's a negative aspect to that of we should have been more on this guy from day one. Our head coach should have been on the sidelines a lot or not, more often. Or, or not. Or not. Or not.
1: Or not, right? Because, yeah, no, like, I'm
0: the first to make that argument where it'll be like, less is more, come in, be the cool guy who closes, you know, make the girl more interested in you because you're not acting that interested in her. Well,
1: I, was, I was going the other way. I was saying, like, maybe he's not the number four player in the country.
0: I mean, Christian oh. Lander was a five-star
1: best point guard in the country and was a total bomb so like so many coaches have told me this that in recruiting in college basketball you don't lose because of the guy you didn't get you lose because you got the wrong guy Mm, mm. so it's not about the guys you miss it's about the guys you do get and don't bet wrong like you know if you get somebody who is bad attitude or doesn't have the right motor or is in it for the wrong reasons that hurts you a hell of a lot more even if they're super talented than the guy you didn't get because that guy can't hurt you. Right. So, yep. I, I mean, okay. some people would say, well, if he goes to Michigan State, he can hurt you. Yeah, he hurts you for a couple games a year, maybe, you know, but we just don't know. But but to your point, it it is an odd story. The story of Xavier Booker's recruitment is odd to say the least.
0: Well, and that's one specific one, and it's in our backyard, and that's always going to get more scrutinized because of the locality. But when you look at it was in the inside the locker room, I think maybe there's a separate article that broke it down uh, by Trevor, Jared, or maybe it was Rabby, where all the leaps that the people that Kenya and Ya and now Walsh have been tracking, like they all made significant leaps, a lot of them unranked into the top 100. And it just makes you feel really good about where this staff is at identifying Top eighty talent early, getting in there early, creating a nice relationship before all the Johnny Come Latelys swoop in in the home stretch when now they've got these bright new shiny uh, rankings. So, wh- yeah. You're not going to get them all. And who no. knows? I don't know really anything personally about Xavier Booker and, and some of those things you alluded to. Um, maybe he would not be the right fit. When, when you look at like if Trace is helping Woody establish what this program is in the Woody era, which clearly he is, that that's a really specific type of player. And uh, one we could all be really excited about getting. So we'll just trust that of these guys, they're all looking at from 23 through 25, really, since there's a couple of great 25 players in state, that those kids are going to have the the kind of character that lies oh, yeah, with I, the culture being established. And
1: I'm not saying anything about Xavier Booker's character. I know nothing about the kid at all. I'm just saying, you, I mean, four days ago, the kid was ranked like 91 or whatever. And now he's ranked four so one of those rankings is probably wrong
0: well but but you're you're making it sound like everybody changed their mind in four days that was all these guys looking at him over the course of the spring and early summer and and so that was a lot of evaluations over different events and viewings so i mean to me yeah it it makes me think he's probably still a solid five star right yeah i mean
1: probably (laughs) yeah and look Duke offered him, Texas offered him just in the last 48 hours. Those two teams came in with big head coaches and big programs and made offers. And look, I I mean, I've always said this about this recruitment, particularly actions speak louder than words. Our season ended. And the state finals were going on and Xavier Booker was playing in them and Coach Woody could have gone and shown his face in person and he chose not to. Matt Painter was there. I believe Tom Izzo was there. Coach Woodson decided not to. June recruiting started. Coach Woody didn't go see him at the beginning part of the June recruitment. He could have, but he decided not to. Then there was something else that he could have done to go see him, I believe, and and chose not to. He did see him once. And then... The kid now is blowing up. The word that he's been blowing up has been going on for at least a month, at yep. least yep. maybe more. And he goes to try out for the team USA, the under 18, right? It is the one event that is the exception for the NCAA dead period. Head coaches, coaches are allowed to go to watch the tryouts. Coach Woody didn't go and Xavier Booker was there. So like all of these times where he could have gone to try to like plant a flag with him, he hasn't. And I do believe actions speak louder than words. And if this kid is blowing up, which we all know he is, and we know that the assistant coaches at Indiana know that it's blowing up. And our head coach just has not jumped in with both feet in this recruitment in a typical way. Now, as you were talking about, could less be more, maybe. I don't know how that works when you're competing against John Shire and Duke and Chris Beard the, in Texas.
0: The John Shire? Screw well, that guy. Screw that guy. He hasn't done that, shit. He, he's won as many college basketball games as we have as a head coach. Zero. That, Zero. That's true. He,
1: he has landed more five-star recruits than both of us have.
0: More than Woody? More than
1: Woody. Yeah. I mean, his recruiting classes are crazy. I well, mean, it's really.
0: Thank you, Nike. Thank you, Nike.
1: Yeah, and thank you, Coach K, and thank you, Duke. I mean, it's all part of it. So we'll see what happens with that one. I I, I just don't – I would not put my money on it. I would not put my money on it. But who the hell knows, man? That's why we go to pigs.com 272 times a day because you never know what tidbit you're going to get. But you know what we are going to get from this episode, Ward?
0: Legendary stories from a legend.
1: And? It's just part two. We thought it was going to be the part two, the end, Mm -hmm. but it probably won't be because there's too much good damn stuff.
0: Good damn stuff. Couldn't have said it better myself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, good for us and lucky for us that the gentleman we're talking to is much better using his words to communicate (laughs) than either of us and especially me today. So I say let's get to part two with this absolute
0: legend of IU Athletics. I agree with you. Here comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, there's only one thing better than having this gentleman on the show with us. That is having this gentleman on the show with us again for part two. Eric, who's back today. I mean, there's just so much to
1: say. We said it the first time, but Indiana sports announcer of the year 31 times, J.W. Bill Orwig Medal Award winner, Bicentennial Medal Award winner. Uh, he is an honorary I-man. He is, was one of the eight inductees into the Indiana Broadcast Pioneers, Richard M. Fairbanks Hall of Fame. The Indiana Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association inducted this gentleman into the Hall of Fame in 2004, quite simply, He is the soundtrack of Indiana athletics, specifically Indiana basketball and football for the last forever. That's how we say it. He is a true legend and we are so happy and surprised he decided to come back for a second go around with us. Please welcome the legendary Don Fisher.
2: Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, Just so you know, uh, if my wife heard any of that, she's rolling her eyes right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Fish, and we are going to call you Fish because we clarified that last time that we're all friends now, so we get to do that. Before we pick up where we left off last time, I when we talked to you last, it was mid-February, about the third week of February, and let's be honest, the Indiana basketball season wasn't looking that great. And then... (laughs) Something special happened at the end of that year with a really nice run in the Big Ten tournament, got us to the first NCAA tournament in six seasons where we won a game in Dayton. And I thought it would just make sense to pick your brain on what did you see at the end of this year and what is the mood that you feel around the program? You've been through this a few times with new regimes, unfortunately. Um so let's just start with what did what did you see as the season kind of hit that hit that moment at the end of the year that led to a crescendo?
2: Well, I was very impressed with what Mike did throughout the season. Uh, Mike Whitson, of course, I'm talking to him, Indiana's basketball coach. Uh, you know, was a rookie coach, a guy that came from the NBA, uh, not a lot of background at the college level other than his playing experience and, and being around some college players as an NBA coach. <laughs> Um, You you just quite question how things were going to play out. Um, But as we all know, and the thing that I think all of us revere the most is a team getting better as the year goes along. Uh, This team kind of fluctuated between a step forward and a step back or one forward and two steps back occasionally um, through the year but you could always see that there was some progress being made. And I think these kids really bought into Woody's message and and what he was trying to preach and teach. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons they got better at the end. I I think the two guys that probably stood out in the from the standpoint of just progressing as players this season, uh, I think trace Jackson Davis from the beginning until the end showed that he was a different player than we saw in the last couple of years Uh, how hard he played uh, the effort that he played with. Um, I think he, I'm not sure he got a lot better at the one thing that everybody wants him to be good at. And that's the the shooting it from outside um, because he just didn't take that many shots. And we know that what he said at the beginning of the season, if he doesn't take those shots, he's coming out of the game. Well, the the truth of the matter was um, they needed him down low and there was no way to take him out. Most of those contests because and he had some bad ballgames this year. He had some games where he got into foul trouble early. Uh, that he did not uh, play as well against a couple of the bigger guys in the league. But then you get to the end of the season, and now it's um, it's time that you better be able to show yourself. And, man, did he show himself in the Big Ten tournament. And I think the same was true of Xavier Johnson. Uh, Xavier Johnson went through this season kind of as the wild hare, so to speak, in many respects. Hmm. Uh, and how he played sometimes. Um, I don't think he really, at the beginning of the season, understood exactly what Woody was looking for. But I think Woody was to the point where I'm not giving up on this guy. I'm going to make sure he understands what we feel like a point guard has to look like. And I think he pounded that into to Xavier Johnson day after day in practices and in ball games and after ball games. I think he was always telling this guy. You can be the guy here, and you can be something special here as a point guard, but you've got to do it my way. Uh, I know how to do, develop point guards. I know what I expect. I'm always toughest on my point guards, and I think this could uh, kid actually bought into it, and, and I, I do think by the end of the season, if you look back at the last 10 ball games of the year with Xavier Johnson's play, you saw a dramatic difference than what you saw early on. Now again, he occasionally would go off on the on the war path of uh, trying to win a ball game by himself, and or at least uh, you know try to dictate what was going on in that regard. But for the most part, he turned into the point guard I think Mike was looking for, and he he's a tough guy, and he is not everybody's cup of tea. And you're glad he's on your team, and maybe the other team hated him, whatever the case may be. But you were glad you had a fighter on your team, and that's what this guy was, and he was very much an in your face type of defensive player. Uh, and he got some guys mad at him throughout the year. And I like that a lot. That's my day in five moment every time. Yeah. he did it. Um, but it's, it's kind of when you look at it, um, I, I just think this team got better as the year progressed, they didn't have to deal with some injury problems. Uh, you, you know, when, when you have Phenasy out for a ton of ball games this year, because of again his problems with injuries, the struggles that he had, and obviously, um, Galloway was also one of those guys that really looked good when he was out of the floor, but unfortunately he had to deal with some injuries as well. Uh, I just think, and, and there were other guys that were dinged a little bit as we know, but the the important part was this team got better at the mm-hmm. end of the, the big 10 tournament. I think proved that trace Jackson Davis, job against Kofi Coburn in that loi ball game was just something special. Um, and that to me was a, a, a uh, telling you it was a moment to remember, number one, but more importantly, it was a moment to say, yep, Trace Jackson Davis is the guy we think he is.
0: So it really seems like Coach Woodson is is not only bringing back uh, the players he wants to bring back, but he's bringing in some studs too, some freshmen coming in, a couple of five stars what do you make of, okay, this team got better in season one from beginning to end. What are you thinking, feeling about how the makeup of this team is hopefully going to improve from season one to season two?
2: Well, obviously you've got new faces. And and I, I, I never get too high on new faces because the new faces that come in have to adjust to college basketball. And it's just like the guys at the college level who go to the NBA, they have to make an adjustment to a level of basketball of which they are not familiar. (laughs) And that's the same with high school kids. And even though they may have played great competition uh, at the high school level, it's not the same thing as when you run into college players and college coaching. Um, So that, that part of it is just fact. And so I'm, I never get too high or too low or too negative or too positive on high school kids coming from the high school ranks to college, but at the same time, these guys are four or five star ranked and, and it's a really good recruiting class. I don't think there's any question about it. And you give coach Woodson and, and his coaching staff a lot of credit for bringing these guys on board. Um, they're not losing that much. Race Thompson has said he's coming back at this point. You lose a guy like Parker Stewart and uh, Durr, uh Those guys are gone four of them are gone. So, you know, the truth and Christian lander being another one. So at this juncture, um, when you look at it, they're not losing a lot. And I'm not saying that negatively. No, too, the guys it's that are true. Big, it's just fact. Um, yeah. So they're not losing a lot. You've got the nucleus for a heck of a basketball team again for next season. And the guys that, you know, I mean, guys like Galloway, if he could stay healthy, if he can get a little bit better shooting the three point shot. Uh, doing the things that you will do in the off season to develop your skills. And, and you know, that those kids are down there working their tails off because it's demanded of the coaching staff. You know, it's going to be uh, probably a team that's going to be pretty special next year and a team that could finish very high in the big 10.
1: Because of what you do for a living, it doesn't matter if this team is 32 and O or zero and 32, you've got to bring your a game no matter what. And you're a professional and you've been doing it for a long time, but. When you start to talk about what you just did, does something get stirred up in you that that even after all these years you look forward to in a way that maybe, you know, in the last several years when you kind of knew a mediocre team was coming back is not that exciting? Does that, does that do anything for you? Well, the truth of the matter is uh, if
2: you go back and look at things I've said before every season, I have always been Mr. Positive, <laughs> <laughs> optimistic, um, I, I just have that in me. I, I I just think any, it's like it's like anybody that's going to high school or college uh, and you go to a new school season, a, a new school year. Um, it's been kind of like that for me throughout my career. I just think like every new year brings new expectations, new opportunities, and new optimism. And that's kind of how I've always looked at it. And even when we had You know, when we had the one year with Tom Creed, his first year when they won six ball games. Yeah. I just knew the next year was going to be better. (laughs) (laughs) But wasn't a great deal better. I think they won 10 the second year and 12 the third. And then they took off the next year when Cody got there and you had Victor and those guys that were on board. So that that was a special year. But I was still uh, always optimistic about what we were going to see. The first, I would say the most... Delicate I would have been from a standpoint of being optimistic would have been the Tom Crean first year because there was nobody coming
1: back. No, no. <laughs> but now I will say this about you, Fish. You do have optimism, and I listen to every word that I can of, of you, especially throughout the season and, and the ramp-up to the season. But you're also a realist, and there is a point where some of that optimism wanes if the season doesn't go as well. Uh Has that ha- – have you gotten – less patient as time has gone on? Like, do you? does your optimism not carry as much uh, distance as it used to? I think you guys need to interview my wife. Uh, <laughs> you get much
2: better answers from her about those kinds of things. But, yeah, as the years have gone on, especially when it comes to football in Indiana,
1: oh, yeah. the
2: patience is very short-sighted and, and, and short-lived, so to speak. Because we've just seen so many things negatively about Indiana football over the years. I, I'm talking about winning and losing. Now I'm not talking sure. about all the other stuff. I'm really talking about just the winning and losing aspect of it. And there has been no greater uh, lesser optimistic performance than you've ever seen than this Indiana football team was a year ago. And I don't want to go to football just yet, unless yeah, you got sure. it. but the, the fact of the matter is I have less patience than I used to. Um, <laughs> I, it just because the expectations of Indiana fans is not a great deal different than what my expectations are. I mean right. always every year you think this is going to be a good basketball team or this is going to be a good football team. And so you go into it with that mindset, but it doesn't take much, especially in football, to have it go away quickly because we've seen in the past, those expectations oftentimes are not met in any way, shape, or form. In fact, it's complete opposite of what you expect.
0: Well, I think as we hopefully are going into another golden era of Indiana basketball, that's what we all fully expect with coach Woodson. We're on our way. Um, last time we did leave off, uh, where you are about to get into like the golden era of maybe the greatest back-to-back seasons in college basketball history. Now, how you start off early in your career with a couple of seasons like that and still get yourself excited for any season that comes after that, I don't know how. Um, but I do wonder, as, as both you and Coach Knight are settling into your new roles in Bloomington, you know, early, mid-70s, when did you get a sense, uh, and maybe it wasn't until the 75 season was rolling, that you were now witnessing all-time greatness on the floor and on the bench for Indiana University?
2: Well, it really was a 31-1, and 75 season uh, that, that you really felt that. But even the year before, my first year there, the 73-74 campaign, I thought that was a pretty good basketball team, and they they tied for the Big Ten championship that year, um, and they were coming off a year in which they went to the Final Four, right. uh, got beat by UCLA, if you remember. Steve Downing, the Bad foul. call.
1: Bad yeah. call. Bad call. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> the refs so. have been screwing us for decades, Fish. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: try not to. I try not to disparage the officials too much, but right, you're quite wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but the truth of the matter is I, I thought that 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 my first year there and you got to understand um I hadn't seen this level of college basketball uh, right. prior to coming to Indiana I mean I watched some on television like everybody I watch Ucla in fact I went to uh, Chicago in 1965 and saw a triple header and Lou Elsinger was a freshman that year. Wow! And they played at Chicago Stadium, and I saw three ball games that day. But my friends and I drove from Mendota, Illinois, which is my hometown, or at least the town I was born in. Uh, we, fl- which was hundred miles west of Chicago, we drove from Mendota in a uh, after a unbelievable snowstorm. I had a 1965 rear engine Corvair.
1: Oh, <laughs> Wait, what? My dad had a Corvair. Corvair, what if Corvair? you dare. Yeah,
2: five and it was it was evening orchid color, unbelievable, <laughs> just gorgeous. Yes, chick, chick magnet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Until they saw me in the car, and then it was. Fun. Did that
1: car even have seatbelts? Like, those okay. old Corvairs, oh, those
2: were not safe cars. <laughs> See, folks, what were those? <laughs> Back in the day. So, at any rate, we, we literally drove to Chicago, saw the triple header, and went in, got snuck in a side door, um, uh, and got to the locker room area where the teams came in, or the area where the teams came in. And I was standing right next to the door when Cinder walked through it. And I was going like this, and then I was going like this. <laughs> <laughs> I could not believe. It. I'd never seen a human being that tall in my life, and he, what was he, seven three, seven four, whatever he was. Yeah, unbelievable. And and but but that was my first experience with college basketball, as far as seeing something of that spectacular. But when I got to IU, that team, that first year was special to me, um, and that team was very good. And and obviously tied for the Big Ten, got beat in the playoff by Michigan, and ended up playing in the CCA tournament, the very first. Collegiate Commissioners Association College Basketball Tournament, which Bob Knight absolutely went nuts and didn't want to play in it, didn't want to be a part of it in any way, chastised the Big Ten for uh, trying to put the uh, NIT out of business. He went nuts on them, but he still had his basketball team that had to play in the CCA tournament, (laughs) so they went and played in it, and he was ticked about it but they won the daggone tournament. They went to St. Louis and beat Southern Cal in the championship ball game, and he got tossed in the first 10 minutes of the game.
1: <laughs> I heard a rumor that he dragged the trophy off the court at the end of the game. Is that I, true?
2: I, I can't answer that question. I don't know if it's true or not, but I can tell you this. You know, coaches get kicked out of a game. They're not supposed to be you know, inside the facility where the game is being played. He went up in the stands and sat for the rest of the ball game. <laughs> he was just, he was a rebel with a cause, obviously.
1: I, I, I'm i sure you've heard this, but uh, Laskowski told us a story about that CCAT tournament that coach clearly didn't want to play in it and made it clear he didn't want to play in it, but then was told by his bosses, oh, you're playing in that tournament. And so coach, to save face came to the team and said, I'm going to let you all decide. You vote. Do you want to play in the tournament or not? And they all voted. They wrote a secret ballot. And Laz wrote no. And and all of the people that he talked to wrote no. And They put it in. And then Coach counted up the secret ballots. and goes, all right, you guys decided. We're playing. <laughs> Laz said he couldn't find one player on the team who voted to play in the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Coach would do
2: every, whatever he had to do to make sure that it wasn't going to be on him. It was not right. Be, no, and 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 the truth of the matter is, I believe that story hundred percent because yeah. <laughs> exactly how he was, how he was thinking.
1: Exactly. So I I do want to talk. I want to talk a little bit more about Coach Knight, but I want to talk about those players because you had some special players that that you came in with. I mean, Quinn Buckner, obviously, uh, not many more special than Quinn on the court as far as leadership but but you know you then came in with Scott May who had some academic troubles at the beginning of his career and then Bobby Wilkerson and the, I mean just this this amazing group of players were you able to get to know those guys a, in those first few years or did you keep arms distance from the players back then
2: it, it, you know back in the day I didn't go to I didn't go to a lot of practices because coach Knight was <laughs> if you know what I mean he was he was uh, difficult to um, discern that he was in your ballpark a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, I, I think I could put that pretty delicately, but at yes. the same time, it, it wasn't, uh, I, I didn't go to a lot of practice. In fact, I think I only saw one practice that year. Wow. Because um, I have worked in Indianapolis. I was at WIRE. That was the station that had uh, gotten the broadcast rights for IU, and that's why I was hired at that radio station to be the play-by-play voice of Indiana in 73, and 73, 74. And, and so at any rate, um, I didn't go to the, because I had other duties as the sports director at the radio station, I didn't have a lot of time to go to practices. And so basically I would see them at walkthroughs or something like that, you know, leading up to a ball game, because that's normally when I, uh, after they got through with their walkthrough, they'd go in and eat. And I used to got night at that period of time, about three hours, three and a half hours before tip-off. So, um, I didn't see a lot of practices. I did, I did get the, to, to get to know some of the players, especially Kent Benson and Tom Abernathy, Steve Green, um, those guys, Quinn and, and Scott were, I, I knew, I knew Quinn better than Scott because Quinn had played football his first two years at IU and my first year right. was his sophomore year. So I, I think I interviewed him once as a football player and I interviewed him two or three times as a basketball player that first season. So, um, so you got to know him a little bit. Uh, it, it wasn't quite like it is now. And and, and the truth about now is uh, the last couple, two or three years, I haven't been around these players a lot at all because of COVID.
1: COVID, right. Um, um,
2: for those who don't know, I never got a vaccination. I didn't want to get vaccinated. I don't believe in the vaccinations. I don't believe in a lot of the stuff that we were told and it's come all the uh, basically come out and said this is the way it is boys and girls it's not quite like we said it was initially because they changed their mind and all of these kinds of things for you know, about a million times anyway long story short I did not get vaccinated there have been times this year and last where I was not allowed to travel with the team so mm. I haven't been around these players as much as I have been in the past um, but you know what I'm never aside from a couple of different teams I've never gotten that close to any of these teams or the players on these teams. Now, you know them, you know when you get to know them after they're done playing.
1: Right. Because they
2: come to things and then they see you because you've interviewed them and that kind of thing. Fish, good to see you, that kind of stuff. And then you really, you you develop a relationship with a lot of them. So that to me, and, and really that's from a play by play standpoint, you want to be as objective as you can. Sure. Therefore, if you get too close, you know, you're probably objectivity is down the tubes a little bit because and I will tell you that my objectivity about Randy Whitman is the worst you've ever seen because <laughs> I love that guy. And I did with wow. mean, well, the first I'll tell you this story. My my wife and I and our children moved to Indianapolis in seventy three. And we were on the west side. We had an apartment at West Park Town Houses on West 10th Street, next, almost right next to Ben Davis High School. I don't know if they're even still there anymore. <laughs> um, they probably are. At any rate, um, we went to a church there, our Shepherd Lutheran Church. My brother's a Lutheran pastor. My twin brother is a Lutheran pastor and has been his entire career. He just retired a few years ago. At any rate, long story short, we went to this Lutheran Church. Well, who do, the first people that greet us there, when we walk in the church the first or second time, Bob and Shirley Whitman, Randy's parents. Yeah. And then I got to meet and, and they invited us to do all kinds of things, uh, you know, go to dinners and that kind of stuff. Um. And, and we got to play on the church softball team. And Randy was like 10, I think, 10 or 11 years old at that time. And he was a heck of a softball player too. And so we actually played softball. I asked him, I I just recently asked him this question because he was a consultant with Mike throughout the season. And I got to school quite a bit. And I said, do you remember the first time I met you? And he says, I'm not sure. And I said, we played softball together at St. John's Lutheran church on the, on the East side of Indianapolis. I said on our, our our shepherd Lutheran uh, softball team, we played softball and you were on that team that year. He said, Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so, I mean, that guy, and I, and I just think the world of his family, uh, they kind of took us in, so to speak. And so, and I didn't know that Randy was going to be that good a basketball player. Right. Indiana was recruiting him at that time. I paid. I was paying no attention uh, at that juncture of his career, like he's a junior at that point when I first seen him play basketball. And uh, when I saw him play, I couldn't believe it. And then I said something to Kit Klingelhoffer, our sports information director at the time, back at IU. I said, "Have you ever seen the Whitman kid play for Ben Davis?" He said, "I know all about him. Our coaches are after him big time." I said, "All right, I like that."
1: Oh, that's great. <laughs> I
2: said, "I don't have to go in there and tell Coach that he's making a mistake if he's not recruiting him."
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> me, I would have done that anyway. Yeah. But at any rate, um, the Whitmans, and that's the one guy I'm not very objective
1: about. All right, fair enough. So if let's if look, at him,
2: look at him and look at his stats.
1: Oh, it's crazy, no, crazy
2: best shooters ever at Indiana.
1: Not only yeah. that, but the way that he his career evolved, because when he came in, they needed a point guard and he yeah. played point guard his first year on yeah. a really good team yeah. and helped them win games as a point guard, a pass first point guard. And then later in his career, they needed a scorer. And that's what he was like it's very rare to see somebody have that kind of like revolution of a game. It wasn't even an evolution. You know, he went from facilitator a little bit, I guess like Yogi Ferrell did his freshman year where he was a facilitator and then he became the man. Yep. But, but I, I love go- going back and looking at old Randy video and, and Randy stats and his percentage, like him and Kitchell throw Kitchell into the mix too, as far as shooting
0: crazy. Before we get too far away from this comment of you interviewing Quinn as a football player, and we know there's not a lot to talk about with the 1970s IU football team, I'm wondering what kind of football player was Quinn Buckner, who not only was the point guard on the undefeated national championship basketball team, but he's also now the head of Indiana University. He is the chairman of the board of trustees for the entire Indiana University. Did you have any inkling interviewing this football player? What what kind of leader he really would become?
2: Here's what I would tell you, because the first interview I did with Quinn was as a football player, and I went, this guy's smarter than me. Really, I mean, his—he his, was able to converse like no college football player I'd ever interviewed in the past. And I mm. interviewed players at Indiana State because I was there for two and a half years. I had three football seasons there, um, and, and I had an interview with a kid that was articulate as he was, and so I was totally impressed with this kid. And then when I saw him on the basketball court and how Coach Knight utilized him as the leader. Even as a sophomore, um, his sophomore year, um, he was the leader of that team, and and he was he was an amazing athlete, but more than that, his mentality about the game and his IQ about the game of basketball and football, uh, his ability to understand what was going on and how to to deal with it. He's an amazing guy. And and, uh, obviously, he's had a terrific career as a a color analyst now for the Indiana Pacers for many years. And and of course, now he's a part of the uh, Indiana University Board of Trustees. I mean, what can't he do? I mean, he's really a smart guy and he knows what he's doing in, in almost every venue that he's in.
0: The, uh, dream, uh, the dream is fish doing play-by-play and Quinn doing color. I don't care what the game is. I don't care if it's a pickup game
2: uh, down at the hyper.
0: I just want to hear that, would that be broadcast.
2: Fun. Well, here's what you got to know. Because if if I and Quinn were doing a game, it'd have to be on TV. And mm-hmm. so I'm stepping aside as a play-by-play announcer on television. I'm just basically going, all right, Quinn, go ahead, take it over.
1: <laughs> um, um, I think, think DeNeri does that sometimes with him.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, I'm going to say something that, that, that on the surface will not make a lot of sense, but I'm going to stand by it. I think Scott May is one of the most underrated players in the history of Indiana basketball because of the fact he's not a self-promoter. He didn't have a, a huge career in, in the NBA, but he's not a guy who does a lot of interviews. He doesn't like to be seen that much. And so the legend of Scott May and how good he really was doesn't get as much attention, I think, as some other people who are just bigger personalities and more out there. But can you talk about how good Scott May was as a basketball player?
2: Well, it it tells you all you need to know that when he got hurt in 75, that team was nowhere near the team it was without him. Um, I say that because that team was really gifted and that team had Steve Green and John Laskowski as a part of the the top seven players in that ball club, top eight ball players in that team. Um, Without Scott May, they couldn't get it done. And and with Scott May the next year and without Steve Green and John Laskowski, and they get it done. So what does that tell you? I mean, it tells you how important Scott May was to that ball club. And Coach Knight tried to play Scott May in that last game against Kentucky uh, that they got beat by a couple of points, but he just couldn't go. I mean, he literally is in there five or six minutes, and I think he took him out for the rest of the contest because the arm just didn't function the way it should have. But his ability as a scorer was – I mean, we all talk about Calbert cheney and what a great scorer he was. Scott May was every bit as good a scorer – as Calvert Chaney and Calvert would probably admit that be the first to admit it because this guy was special in that regard but on top of that Scott May was a terrific rebounder, Mm. and he did a tremendous job on the boards for this basketball team and Benson of course was tremendous on the on the boards and you think about Tom Abernathy and how good he was on the boards and Green I mean even Steve wasn't a great jumper although Steve Green the very first year I broadcast in the 74 or 73-74 season, Steve Green blocks a shot on Mike Steele on a baseball pass down the floor. Laskowski just hit this is the first Purdue Indiana game I ever did. And and Mike Mike Steele gets a pass, length of the floor pass with like five seconds to go. Steve Green came out of nowhere and blocked his <laughs> shot. Yes. And some of the guys would tell you that Steve didn't jump over a phone book. So, <laughs> so it, it just kind of tells you that those guys were just special players and they were great players.
1: Is there a moment or a game from that 75, 76 team? I mean, obviously the national championship is the national championship, but is there, is there another moment in that season when you think back about that season that, that really sticks out to you as a special moment in that year and that legendary team?
2: The 76 season had so many great games in it. Um, And the, the ones that stand out to me, the two that stand out more than any others were the two games that that team won in overtime, they beat Kentucky at Kentucky Uh, on a last-second tip-in by Kent Benson that got him to the overtime, and then they smeared him in the overtime period. (laughs) And then they did the exact same thing again with Benson tipping in a shot at the end of the Michigan game in Assembly Hall that gave Indiana a victory in that contest. And again in overtime, they just smothered Michigan at that juncture. Those two games have always stood out to me more than any others um simply it wasn't it
1: wasn't it Abernathy with the great save to put the ball close to the bucket so Benson could tip it in against Michigan wasn't I it, think it was Jimmy Cruz oh Jimmy Cruz you're right you're right it was Jimmy yeah. Cruz yeah
2: I, I the fact that I've uh, that I've superseded you with that
1: it's, <laughs> yeah it's funny to me <laughs> that is why you are you
0: and I am me um so I, I'm yeah, wondering when you're thinking about that team though and we've been hitting these individual great talents like all time indiana hall of fame great talents go to the nba talents first pick in the nba draft talents how much of it is that and how much of it is the coach obviously it's both but when you're thinking about that could another coach have gotten that team through the season undefeated, could could, and then even on Coach Knight's end, he had other talented teams, very talented teams, Calvert's teams, that that came close but didn't do what they did. Right. So, I mean, I guess in your mind, is that is that just something where it was, it was destiny? It was perfect. Like, how do you explain a perfect season? Well,
2: it, it to me, it was a, a team of destiny. I mean, but I think this team because of what happened in 75, I think this team had such a want to prove to coach Knight
1: mm.
2: that they were as good as he thought they were. And, and, cause I know he preached to them, but he was also tough on them, As you know, there wasn't a team that he wasn't tough on in his career at Indiana and, and probably a, a, any team that he ever coached, because that's just who he was. Mm-hmm. He was a tough expectation, expecting type of coach, that you needed to do it his way, and if you did it his way, he thought we could you could win, and he built that into every team that he ever coached. If you do it my way, we're going to win. It's that mm-hmm. simple, and they believed that. I mean, that team especially believed it, and that's why I think they went 32 and 0 in '76 because of Bob Knight. Now, some people have said, "Well, Mike Shostak the all-time winningest coach, and and this guy's that, and this and this guy's this good, and all the." There's been nobody in college basketball, in my opinion, and Coach Knight had our run-ins just like everybody does. But I'm telling you right now, there's no better college basketball coach in the history of the game than Bob Knight. And he never had, with the exception of 76, and maybe even the 75 team, because he always thought the 75 team, he always said the 75 team was a little better than the 76 team. But the truth of the matter is, outside of those two seasons, Everything that he did at Indiana was spectacular in the sense of how he put teams together, how they formed to one another, how they competed against other teams and what he did on the sidelines as a bench coach, in addition to his preparation as a college basketball coach, getting his ready teams, ready to play against the opponent. Nobody's ever done it better than him. And I'm telling you right now, just based on that alone, I, I think he's the best that's ever donned a coaching a garb, his coaching sweater, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> in college basketball. Because I've never seen anybody do what he's done. I mean, John wouldn't you could say that he had more talent than Bob Knight ever thought of having in yeah. all the teams. I mean, Both everyone. <laughs> there, I mean, I, I don't want to go there. Um,
0: <laughs> that's our job. Yeah, well, that's well, where we go. We're, we're the low class guys. We'll bring that.
2: <laughs> but I, I, I honestly think that Bob was the best college basketball coach ever and and he was he did it his way in an era when he could do it his way
1: right Great, yeah it was it was the perfect match of a persona and an era because had he come around 20 years later he wouldn't have been that he wouldn't have been allowed to be that exactly um when when we talked to you last you talked about how even the first time you met coach and, and you gave us this great story about going to see him do this speech at a dinner when he put his arm around your color guy, who was the play by play guy beforehand. But you talked about how coach was coach, even from the beginning, even as a young kid, even before the success, right. but then the success comes post 76. And now he's a national star uh, and really like a comet, you know, I mean, just going through the world of college sports and and sports in general. The aura of Bob Knight, for people like Ward and I, were mid-40s. You know, we grew up in late 70s and 80s when he was already that thing, that big aura thing. Was there something that happened post-76 where that got built around him? Or did is that just something that we made up from the outside? And for you, Coach Knight in 1992 was the same as Coach Knight in 1974.
2: Well, I, I think everybody changes a little bit, you know, through the years. I I, I I think Coach Knight changed a little bit through the years, and and toward the end, um, at Indiana, yeah. I don't think his recruiting was what it used to be. I think he kind of left it to the coaches, and if you know, he believed that if that Indiana basketball was so special, and what he had built there, that by the end, I think at one point he just decided if these if I go to sell some kid on IU. I'm not going to sell him on IU. He's got to sell himself on me. <laughs> and I think that that was kind of the way he looked at things a little bit. I'm not saying good, bad, or indifferent. I'm sure. saying, I, I don't, I think, based on what I've heard from other assistant coaches and players and that kind of thing, I think he changed a little bit. I think he felt like we built a program here that's won three national championships. Um, you know, we're not going to sit there and beg you to come to Indiana University you know what we've done here. And I, I think that may have changed him a little in this in the sense of because I, you know, think about Calvert Cheney. He he never really thought Calvert Cheney was the guy until Bob Hamill got him to go down and see him play. And mm. I'm not even sure after he saw him play, he thought he was the guy. So Correct. <laughs> right. just kept harping on him. I don't he, Have you ever done a, one of these with Hamill?
1: No, we've talked to him several times and we're trying we're gonna do that, but I want to do that one. I think it's better for us to be in person with him. Yeah. So we're gonna try to do that.
2: Well, he he I think Hamill had more to do with Calvert coming to IU. I think wow. Calvert would come to IU no matter what, because I think he really thought that this was the program he wanted to play for. But I think Hamill had as much to do with Calvert Cheney coming to I.U. as anybody because he talked Bob Knight into seeing Calvert. And I'm not like I said, I'm not sure even after he saw him, he thought he was really the guy. But right. um, I think I think Bob had some Bob Hamill had something to do with talking him into it.
1: Just a quick follow up on on the, my my last question. You talked last uh, part part one about how it took a long time for you to get comfortable around Coach and for Coach to get comfortable with you. Did your relationship change with him over the years? I mean, I I know you said you never were would have considered him like a friend, a close friend. Right. But how did your relationship with him change over the? you know, 30 years, basically you were, you were together.
2: Our relationship didn't change other than to say this. I really believed after the first five to 10 years that he had a certain respect for me. Uh, He knew that I was not out to get him. I was not out to trash the program in any way, shape or form. I I was simply there to do the play by play of the games, interview the players, interview the coaches uh, to do my job um because i never tried to make it any more than that I, I i rarely ever ate with the team i he he started inviting me to go to dinners
1: yeah you said a, the only time you saw him drink uh, sangria every yeah, once in a while yeah <laughs> yeah
2: I, I forgot to figure out what the name of that restaurant was oh was, the
1: one that was in the train car
2: yeah, it was the <laughs> yeah train car restaurant anyway i should have looked that up but i did um but but I think he had a, I think he really respected the job that I was doing, um, you know some of the awards that I got and those kinds of things I think kind of surfaced to him a little bit, and he, he realized that I was there to really do the job for the program, um, to to do my job in an objective way, but at the same time, know that I was I wanted IU to win, you know uh, I think he knew that as well, and I, so I think our relationship. Became stronger in that vein. I mean, there were times when I literally got mad at him because of some of the things that he thought was funny, and and uh, I didn't think were very funny. Um, at the same time, uh, he always have a manager come get me because I'd walk away from
1: him. Mm. Really,
2: uh, I did it two or three times. I walked away from him and said, "This is baloney. I don't want that's not quite the, the, the <laughs> sure. right? you." Yeah. We'll
1: we'll use baloney for, yeah. for this for so the kids.
2: Baloney was really good. Um. Uh, so but, but I did walk away. And each time that I did, because I thought, you know, he's, he's disrespecting what we're doing here. Um, he always got a manager to come get me and do the interview. So, wow. So at that point, I knew he respected what I was doing and that I was not out to get him in any way, shape or form. And some of the things that he asked me to do, I wouldn't do just because of some of the controversial things that came about and he wanted me to do certain things. And I, I
1: Can you give it. us one example of that?
2: No, no, I can't. Those are those are the things between him and I, and he knows it, and I know it. Or, or,
1: All right. You know, it's one I, of a, in my head, it's like he calls you after Puerto Rico, and he's like, "Listen, you got to tell everybody how Puerto Rican cops are terrible. That's what you got to do. You got to tell them that I've got a great right hook." Eric, I'm not. I'm not going there,
2: buddy.
0: <laughs> we'll take that as a yes. Um, look, the temptation is to go. Season by season, player by player, and ask you for your memories and your insight. But um, so this only lasts six or seven hours instead of 15. (laughs) Uh, I, I kind of am like moving beyond the 75 76 team. Uh, one player who, who, uh, boy, he won a big 10 championship is big 10 player of the year, just missed out on the national championship, but now he's our head coach, Mike Woodson. What'd you think of him as a player, as a leader, um, 40 years before he came back to run the program?
2: Well, my rec- my recollection of Mike as a player was that he was very quiet, that he was not a rah-rah type of guy, um. He really played hard. You could see when he did practice, and I got to see some more practices it you know, in those years than I did early on. Um, but he was um, and he came in, I think in 76, 77 was his freshman Correct. year. And um, you could see he was going to be a really good college basketball player, but he had things to learn. And, and that first year was a little rocky for the entire team. If you remember in 77, because mm-hmm. uh, that team literally finished the season 14 and 13. That was their actual record that year. Mm. But two games were forfeited later on by Minnesota because they cheated. Uh, <laughs> And those two forfeits made their record 16 and 11. So a lot of people look at that and they go, oh, they were 16 and 11. It wasn't that bad. No, it was 14 and 13. <laughs> that,
1: that sounds a lot worse. <laughs>
2: and, it does. And, and it was not a good year. It was not no. a fun year in the sense of uh, the difficulties that those teams made. But Mike was a freshman on that ball club. And then as he, as he grew into a sophomore season, you could see he was going to be a really good scorer. How good he was going to be, nobody really knew. And then his junior year, he had that 48 point game against Illinois on the road. And you went, holy cow, this guy is something special. And his senior year, of course, you know, you get shortly into the season, he gets this back injury. He has to have surgery. He's out until what? The last six or seven games of the regular season. Six. yeah. And he comes back at the end of that season. And he leads that team to a big 10 championship. Now, they obviously played fairly well without him to be in a position where they could come back and win it. But it was Mike Woodson that carried them at the end. And then in the NCAA tournament that year, they get beat by Purdue mm. um, and they got beat by Purdue in my opinion, because Mike Woodson was wore out.
1: Yeah. He had he, nothing he, left.
2: He had nothing left. <clears throat> I mean, he was, he had busted his tail in those last six games coming off of a back surgery for goodness sakes and, and to, to tell you how courageous that is, there are very few people that play in any year after they've had back surgery, especially back in that day and age.
1: Right. Because
2: back problems weren't, I mean, the spinal doctors at that time were nowhere near as sophisticated as they are today, nor do they have the tools that they right. have today to deal with those kinds of things. And for him to come back at the end of that season and lead them to a Big Ten title, absolutely phenomenal.
1: I want to ask about the the controversy that happened in one of Mike Woodson's teams in Alaska, if you remember all that. Now, the reason I, I'm not trying to like... <laughs> Fish gets the big grin on his face. It's but but the, the reason I want to talk about it a little bit is because, look, this is before the days of social media and before everything got reported to everyone all the time. And I think that us fans have this mistaken mindset that when something goes wrong today, Oh, I mean, it's all gone to hell in a handbasket. Right. right? And that stuff never used to happen before. (laughs) And, and it did, it happened a lot. We just didn't know about it because not everybody had a cell phone and a camera phone and a Twitter account and an Instagram, but that happened. And I wanted to, from your perspective here, you are, you're not working for the university, but you are the guy. That is the voice of this program that is so important to the university and something like that happens. I don't know if maybe that was like the first big off the court thing that happened in your time, but how did you handle it then and how do you up until today handle balancing talking about the stories that are important that are affecting whether people are playing or not, and also not trying to crap on the program, if you will, or, or heap unnecessary um, angst onto things?
2: Well, first of all, the year that that happened, that they, that, that, that the Alaska trip to, I didn't go.
1: Okay. Well, that's
2: good. I, I didn't go because we were still in the football season. And if you know anything about what, how we've handled things through the years at Indiana, we've never dropped the football broadcasts and put somebody else in there to do the play by play. And, 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 and the reason is simple. It's, it sounds like you're crapping on the football team. If you sure. just help Oh, I'm going to Alaska. I'm going to Anchorage to do the three games up there because those are more important than the Indiana football program. No, that's not how we look at it. Okay. Football season started. It's almost the end of the football season. It's our job to do the football games until they are over with. Basketball is going to Anchorage for the first three games of the season. Somebody else has to do the games. And Joe Smith, who has worked with me for close to 40 years, uh, we assigned to do the play-by-play in Alaska, and he went on that trip. So he was there. He was there when the crap hit the fan, so to yes. speak. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and, and he has told me a little bit about it. He, he didn't know exactly what was going on at the time because, obviously – you know, they were keeping it as quiet as they possibly could. Sure, Everybody knew when Tommy Baker and Don Cox were kicked off the team that something big had happened. And obviously, we don't know exactly what it was at that point in time. I didn't even – I'll be quite honest with you. I I, didn't, I don't even know what marijuana looks like, to be quite <laughs> honest. I, 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 I was so removed from that aspect of things that I really didn't know what they were talking about. I did learn that, 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 okay, this is, these guys were smoking marijuana in Anchorage, Alaska, and they got caught. Um, But Mike Woodson and Jim Roberson were the two guys that didn't get kicked off. There there may have been more than four that were involved in this whole thing. We just knew about the four. Um, And I, I, I've never really talked to anybody about that. And i' i'm not bringing it up to Mike because <laughs> i'm not sure he wants to relive it either although we did mention on a talk show this year that, that after the northwestern experience that right to Wilson, totally. Harry, um we said something about well coach you've you know that these things happen
1: <laughs> well that that is that is the exact reason i brought it up because yeah. these things do play out and it fascinates me your career and how you have you you are you have so much integrity, and everybody knows that you're giving us your honest, objective view of things. Right, but you're also an agent of some kind of Indiana University, and and so how walking that line is interesting to me.
2: Well, and it is it's difficult. It truly is. It's not easy to do, and you're trying to be professional. Um, to me, a professional is objective and tells the truth, but you don't have to say everything. You know, <laughs> okay. you do not, you don't have to say everything. And uh, I don't think I ever mentioned why these guys were suspended or kicked off or whatever the case may be. But at the same time, and and the university would prefer that you didn't say anything about it. My job is not as a newsman, I'm not a newsman, okay? Mm -hmm. My job is to be objective about what I see and what I hear. And, you know, is is something going on here? Absolutely. Do we know all the facts? I don't know them all. And I'm not going to start talking about them if I don't. Right. So uh, all I could say was the coach made his decisions on the boot, two kids off the team. It's unfortunate, but it happens. And there are two other players on this team that are suspended. And that's where I leave it. You know, I mean, you that's as objective as I can be, and still be telling you the
0: facts. That, as sure. A problem, you know. Sure. So um, before we leave the 70s, I think there is one very colorful character in Indiana University uh, history that gets overlooked because, frankly, his teams weren't very good. What was it like being around Lee Corso and his football <laughs> program? Tell us, tell us something funny about that guy. <laughs>
2: Lee Corso is probably the most fun coach I've ever been around. It's, it's pretty easy to, that's not too hard of a decision to make because I was, my first year there uh, was 1973 and his first year in Indiana was 1973. Mm. And um, he, he was as energetic as any coach I've ever seen. I didn't, I don't know if he ever slept. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he was uh, a guy who literally, We had a talk show, um, weekly talk show. He would drive to Indianapolis, come to our studios at WIRE on 4560 Knowlton Road. And he would come to our studios every Wednesday night in the football season and do a talk show, one hour talk show live on the air. Me sitting at a table like this. And he was across the table from me. And uh, it was so much fun. I mean, you'd have you'd have a drunk guy call up on the show and. Lee Corso would start, and you, you were trying to get the drunk guy off the air, and Corso would start talking to him. <laughs> and he'd say, he'd say, were you in the service or something? He, This one guy, he was drunk, and, he, and he, it was obvious he was drunk. And I said, Coach, let's, oh, I want to talk to this guy. So, <laughs> so he's asking this guy, he says, now, what you do in the service? He said. Well, I, I, what I do in the service? Oh, I, was, I, I was on a tank. I said, oh, you drove a tank? And, and the guys, said, uh, yeah, I was driving a tank. And Corso's going, man, that had to be exciting. You know, that <laughs> kind of stuff. It was just, <laughs> it was nuts. I mean, he just had so much fun with people. We had a lady that called in and he called her because she always wanted to know, Lee, how many points are we going to win by this week? <laughs> so he started, he started calling her the bookie. this woman called every week after that i mean for the next for the next seven or eight years she called every week on the talk show and he said we haven't heard from the bookie tonight next thing you know the phone rings and there she is you know it was he was an amazing guy to work with but you know his, you know the first you know the story about his first football game right Indiana, this is my first football game at IU.
1: Oh, I think you told us this last time.
2: Yeah, when he brought yeah. the team in late. You yes. Know? Oh, yes. I mean, he did stuff like that. Yeah. And he, the, the time he popped up out of a coffin. After <laughs> Indiana, Indiana got beat 62. I think it was 62 to 19 or something like that by Nebraska. And the next day on his TV show, they have this candelabra sitting on the side. There's a casket in the background. And they in the there's funeral music playing. And the camera's just kind of slowly moving into this to this casket. You know, you see that some, the casket's open, you can see somebody's in the casket. And all of a sudden course is in there. He's laying down on the casket and he goes, We ain't dead yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. He was auditioning for game for... day. He was auditioning what? for game he was auditioning for game day 30 years in advance.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, the guy was, he was a showman and obviously he missed his calling because he could have gotten into anything from game day on. Oh yeah. It was spectacular and everybody loved him and they still love him.
1: They do. I -hmm. want to go back real quick to the tail end of, we talked about Woody's year where he came back and they won the big 10. Of course, there was another player on that team. There were several great players on that team, but not the least of which was Isaiah Thomas. (laughs) <laughs> who then of course in his second year led indiana to a national championship what I- there is another guy who talk about an evolution of a person you know isaiah from what he came from mm-hmm. and what he was exposed to and like what his life has become now it's a pretty remarkable honestly american story like an american dream story but what do you remember about isaiah when he showed up to bloomington and then walk us through that fateful 1981 title game, which happened uh, to coincide with a pretty big news event uh, that happened on that same day.
0: Well,
2: the, the thing about Isaiah, I mean, he had this baby face smile that just drew you in, and you thought, This is the cutest little guy, and all of a sudden, and he was a killer. Uh, <laughs> he was nothing, he was, there was nothing baby about him. Uh, this guy was a tough, competitive, a difficult guy to deal with in the sense of college basketball because he was just tough as nails. And he grew up in a neighborhood that needed to be that kind of that kind of person. Um, he was a natural born leader in many respects, maybe not the verbal leader that Coach Knight was looking for initially, but as a player, he led by example with how hard he played, how hard he practiced. Um, and he's just a tremendous talent. I mean, a phenomenal point guard talent. And through his career at Indiana, I mean, you could argue that Isaiah Thomas is the most talented player that's ever played at Indiana. I don't know that you could name me somebody that you thought would be a more talented basketball player.
1: Maybe, I I don't know about more, but maybe McGinnis. Maybe you could say George McGinnis would be at that level.
2: That's probably right. That is probably right. And yet you'd still argue that who had the better career. No, no, you're right. I mean, <laughs>
1: you're right that nobody was more talented. Maybe there's one or two that yeah. you know, Walt Bellamy or something that is on the same level. But sure, but sure. but I mean, Isaiah is it's crazy how good his NBA career was.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and think about if he'd have stayed two more years in Indiana, huh. if he'd played four years at IU. I mean, that team would have won another national championship for sure. Yeah. Um, he was that good. I mean, he was that good as a player um, and everybody loved him because that baby face and that smile. I mean, it was contagious and obviously endearing. Um, and I, I think everybody was heartsick when he left uh, simply because of what could have been had he stuck, stuck around. But you know what? You could not blame him. The family situation that he was dealing with, uh, his mom uh, was such a great person and, and, she obviously needed help. Uh, and that family needed help and he had no choice. He had to go. I mean, he had to go from that perspective, but you know, the first year was kind of rocky that freshman year of his, that team didn't play as well as a lot of people thought it should or could have. And, um, and and part of it was the 79 and Mike Woodson being absent in 80. Sure. All those things played into it, but But the guy was just a natural born leader. And then that's 81 championship game. The the two plays that stand out to me, because Indiana did not lead in the first half of that ball game until the last shot of the first half that Randy Whitman knocked down on the baseline from about 18 feet. Uh, He knocks down that shot. Indiana takes the lead into the locker room. And the defining moment in that contest was the start of the second half. In the first two plays of the second half, he steals the ball from a North Carolina guard, takes it in for a layup twice. Wow. In the first two plays of the second half, he makes two steals for layups. Indiana was on its way.
1: What do you remember about the whole Reagan uh, shooting of it and, and, and balancing real-world things that were going on with the fact that Indiana had a pretty big game that night?
2: Right. Well, I mean – the, the scary part of it was you didn't know if they were going to play it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He thought, are they going to delay this thing or are they going to postpone it? Are they going to cancel it? I mean, it's pretty its pretty rare we get a, a, co- a, a president shot. Uh, it, it draws the national attention. And of course, the good news was that Reagan wasn't shot to the point where he was killed. And uh, once everybody thought that he was out of the woods, which didn't take all that long. I mean, they mm-hmm. basically had him stabilized shortly after the shooting and everything. But the scary part for us, are we going to have a basketball game or not? And the team was worried about it. The coaching staff was worried about it. Um, But there was nothing you could do. You just had to wait to see whether or not the NCAA was going to say, we're going to play basketball. And when they said, we're going to play basketball, I think it was just a, it was a huge sigh from the Hoosier nation and the coaching staff and players and your broadcaster as well, because we surely wanted to see that ball game play.
0: So this is now the second time you've got to see Indiana win a national championship um it's it's becoming old hat to you here just a few your year, <laughs> years into your own tenure. But I wonder as the voice of Indiana University, even though you live in Indianapolis, I mean, do you like party after IU wins a <laughs> national championship game? No. <laughs> <laughs> the, the
2: truth of the matter is, um, at that time in my life, my kids were the most important thing to me. Uh, and, and I had a family, obviously I had four sons. Um, they were all alive in 81. Mm. Uh, the youngest was born in 75. Um, Matt, and so they were all pretty young. And I was coaching them in summertime, little league baseball type thing. And I did that for 10 years, threw my arm out, incidentally, uh, <laughs> just throwing batting practice to these kids. But
1: you were trying to throw some curve on it. That was the problem. You know, you were trying to whip it and make it fall off the table. Well, I
2: always tried to throw hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, these, it was just so much fun. When you've got four boys hmm. um, and you have time to be around them. Uh, you you try to get around it as much as you can. And I I always felt like uh, my parenting was not as good when the football and basketball seasons were going on. It was going to get a lot better after they were over with. And I wasn't going to spend a lot of time out in public screwing around with parties and all that kind of stuff. And here's the thing. I never went to college, guys. So I never learned how to drink beer. (laughs) We're seeing those kinds of things, a little bit different story. But... but (laughs) I, I always thought it was crazy to go out and get drunk because why would you want to get sick, you know, or why would you want to have a hangover? I, I just never looked at it like I guess a lot of people do, but I will have a, a couple of drinks every time we go to dinner and things like that. But uh, I, I just never liked the idea of going out partying, especially when your kids are still young enough that you could be home dealing with them and getting your wife a, a little free time on her own. Sure.
0: Well, I, well,
2: to, I just didn't do that
0: no. to reframe it uh just a little bit would you feel uh, very like you are, do you allow yourself just to be really happy that i you won a national championship you're you don't have to be objective on the plane ride home you can you can be like right. that was awesome
2: right exactly i'm just like every other fan man <laughs> if yeah. any other wins a national championship and even if they just win a game i'm excited about it i'm happy about it um I don't need a lot of extemporaneous stuff or anything like that. And I'm not saying I've never gone out and party because I can tell you that we closed a bar at Birmingham, Alabama, after the Indiana football team uh, played down there one night. <laughs> it was the first bowl game. I think after the holiday bowl that they played in under Bill Mallory. Mallory? Now Mallory's coaching staff was a party group of bulls. <laughs> and, and we went, we literally went to Bill and Ellie's house uh, after his first season. They're 0 and 11 year. Uh, mm. This is 1984. Yeah, they're 0 and 11. But that team, you knew that team, or program I should say, was going to get better because you could see even that 0 and 11 year, they competed like crazy. They were they were battling people. The defense was better than it had been in a long time, and you could just tell this this guy knows what he's doing, and we're going to be a good football program here uh, while he's here, and we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that first bowl game that they went to, uh, or that were the I should say that, that party we went to the first after the 0 and 11 season, we went to Bill and Ellie's house. All the coaches were there, friends of the of the coaching staff. It was it was the most unreal thing. It's as close as I got to it's a as as close as I have been to being drunk in uh, <laughs> maybe my life without being drunk. And I've been <laughs> I've been drunk three times in my life and, uh, trust me, I was real close that night, but, I wasn't, <laughs> but they were having so much fun. They were singing. I mean, it was the most fun I've had at a party in a long, long time. And they had another one after, gosh, I'm, I'm spacing now. Oh, the year in 87. Is that when, the copper bowl? Uh, no. In 87, they beat Ohio state and Michigan. Oh, in the of course.
1: Year. Yeah. Anthony Thompson.
2: Exactly. And that after after that season, they had another big blowout at Joe Novak's, the defensive coordinator, had, had it at his house this time. And I missed that one, and I was oh. sick about it. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, there have been times when I have party, and we closed the bar in Birmingham that that Hall of Fame Bowl that they went to in '86 uh, or '87, '86 I think it was. They went to the Hall of Fame Bowl in Birmingham, and we closed the bar down that night. But I didn't have my kids with me, so I could party. <laughs>
0: there you go. There you go. I.
1: I want to ask you a, a, a little personal question in that you, you were a student of broadcasters growing up. You, you talked about loving Harry Carey, you know, and, and Dan Kelly with the, the St. Louis blues oh, yeah. and lots of guys that you looked up to. And there is no doubt that in the history of sports, you know, you look at the Yankees and Phil Rizzuto and Jack Buck with the St. Louis Cardinals. And the, when you have a really good team over a long period of time and there's a longtime announcer that longtime announcer becomes a star in his own right. And there is no doubt that Don Fisher became a star in his own right as the ascent of Indiana basketball happened from the 70s through the 90s. How weird was that for you to go from just a guy who wanted to call you know, baseball games where you were bringing your own equipment to the game right. to now you know, Don Fisher means something to people. You are in hundreds of thousands of homes and they feel like they have a relationship with you. This is how they experience this thing they love. How was that for you? How did you manage that? And and when did you realize that, oh, this is different now?
2: Well, I don't know that I've, I, it's always been different in that, in that sense. Because if you know my background growing up and I, I was a wannabe, I always wanted to be really good athletically and all that kind of stuff. And I, I was decent by the time I was a senior in high school, uh, but just an average, a very average football player. My my junior year of high school, the football team I played on in Rochelle, Illinois was eight and oh, right? Unbeaten team, we were really good. Uh, and then my senior year, I moved, my parents moved, we moved to Mendota 30 miles to the south of Rochelle and that team finished zero oh. and eight. <laughs> So and I was a starter on both ways on that team. Okay, that, that tells you. Okay, how good was he, at Rochelle? Well, he was just okay. And how <laughs> good was at Mendota? Well, oh, he was good at Mendota <laughs> team. So it kind of tells you uh, I was just a very average guy uh, in the in respect uh, respect to athletics, but I loved it. I loved being part of it. Um, and and for me, more than anything else, it was just being a part of it. Just being able to be a part of a team, and I've always felt like broadcasting allowed me that same feeling, that same belief. I'm part of a team. Uh, my broadcast team, yes, but I'm part of this basketball team. I'm part of this football team. Um, it's exciting. Uh, it's humbling at the same time. If you have people coming up to you and asking for an autograph, and I'm going, "Me? You want right?
1: Do you remember like the first time that happened to you?
2: No." I I don't I I don't really remember it. I mean, because to me, it was like that's that's a perk that I didn't think there was any possibility of having, you know, I mean, somebody want my autograph, you know. So I've just always looked at it from a very humbling standpoint. I mean, okay, yeah, I've been a part of this for a long time and and it's been awesome. And and would I give it uh, would I trade it for anything? No, I would not. But at the same time, it's still part of what the good Lord has allowed me to do um, It's and blessed me with the opportunity to be a part of this. And I, I can't get past that. I mean, that's why it's a very humbling experience, because I didn't think I'd be anything in this life. I mean, I was a very I think I told you this. I was a very average student in school. Yeah. I, I hated school. I, I mean, I studied just enough to get by. My brother was a rare, very smart and very academically inclined, and I probably could have been close to what he was able to accomplish if I'd have tried. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't try that hard, you know? And, and I got away with some really stupid things back when I was young, and, and all those things turned into positive things for me. So I, I remain humble to this day for one reason, because I know where, where I could have ended up, and I didn't. Uh, Do you, well,
0: fish. Clearly, you you figured out what you wanted to try, uh, where you wanted to try. You said last time you spoke with us how you're still trying to not repeat yourself in in the oh, way yeah. you're describing the action of the ball. You're still striving to be excellent uh, every time you mic up, if you will. And I can't, I can't, I just have to ask you because I've been looking at it the whole time when we're talking about your excellence. It looks like there's an award behind you. It's way up near the ceiling. And then beneath it, it looks like there's a bunch of additional awards for each year you won that award. Is that the Indiana Sportscaster of the Year Award? What is that?
2: No, no. Well, if you look to the, I don't know if you can see it. You see the stuff there—the the, the plaque and the yes. you know, all the things there. Right. Those are the Indiana Sports cast or the uh, Indiana Sportscaster of the Year awards.
0: Yeah, know? yeah. It looks like train tracks. It's ridiculous. You can't see the top <laughs> or the bottom. It runs all the way through the screen. <laughs>
2: well, that, there, there's a bunch of them there. Trust me. But, <laughs> but but the stuff back there on the top. Yeah. Most of that. Now the, the there is one that's that's a Hall of Fame. Uh, award up there mm. um, but the stuff that's the footballs and the basketball yeah. those are just signed by different coaches Peyton Manny signed a, a football for me because I did their the Colts preseason games for 23 years and he was kind enough to sign a, a football for me uh, Kevin Wilson uh, gave me a football I've got over there on my uh, other thing but these are all from other coaches that you know gave me a game ball or something like that. Those, those are just really cool kind of things that coaches have done for you, and they always were very for for coaches to do that. That's special to have. It really a,
1: is. It up really is for your son. Um, all right, let's just continue the track here. Indiana, you can look at especially in basketball as eras. Clearly, we had the Quinn Buckner, Scott May, Kent Benson era that gave way a little bit of a downturn, and then the Mike Woodson. Landon Turner, Isaiah Thomas, Randy Whitman, Ted Kitchell era. And then a little bit of a rebuild until the Steve Alford era, I think it's fair to call it. What do you remember? uh, The Steve Alford era was different in that this was a, like not a hometown, but a home state hero coming to rebuild the glory of this historic program. What do you remember about Steve when he came to Indiana? and his progression in his four years?
2: Well, he was probably – I mean, trying to think about this a second. He probably had more media attention on him than any other Indiana high school player up to that point.
0: Sure. Until Damon. Exactly. From high
2: school – just from high school to college – and and the media attention on him was pretty dramatic, but he had a he had a really good parental background. Sam, his dad, obviously a basketball coach in Newcastle, um, he was well grounded, um, and as good as he thought he was, because he was a little cocky, you know. And but that's good. I mean, yeah, you need it. You if you don't believe in yourself, who else is going to believe in you? You know. I mean, he was. Uh, one of those guys you could just tell he thought he was good and he was proven it every time he walked out on the floor. And as a freshman, think about this Bob Knight picks him
1: for the Olympic Games. It's insanity and starts him. Right. It makes no sense. It's like there is no, I know how good Steve Alford was. There is no way Steve Alford is one of the five best amateur basketball players in the country in 1984. There's no way. But, Coach, this is – I would love to hear your opinion on this. This, to me, is Coach – he's not doing him a favor. He's doing Indiana a favor because he's building him. He wants him to play against the best so right. that he's ready for Indiana. Right. At least that was my take on
2: it. Well, I, and, and that's probably part of it. Uh, I don't think there's any question. But he also believed that Steve was a special talent. Yeah, Sure. And he, and he thought that this kid could add something to that Olympic team.
1: He did? <laughs> he did. So it's nuts.
2: It's he nuts. Proved, he proved Bob Knight right. I mean, he did. <laughs> You know, as crazy as you think it is, or as crazy we all thought it might have been at the time, Steve Alford added something to that team. He did. He, he was part of the reason that Indiana beat North Carolina that year. Right. You know, with Michael Jordan. I mean, when you think about yeah. it, how could you argue with it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> they got the I'm gold sure. to prove it. I'm sure I'm sure Knight went, You're gonna argue with that? Are you are you serious? You're gonna argue with that, huh? No. <laughs> do it. I mean, because he proved it. I mean,
1: so Was he the best shooter that you saw at Indiana?
2: As I think back to uh, as I think back to it, especially through the era I've just lived through for the last six years now. <laughs> <laughs> He might be the best shooter in history. (laughs) I mean, honestly, when you think about Steve Alford, that's what you think about. This guy was an unbelievable shooter, and he really was. Uh, uh, The the things that he did scoring-wise, the work that he did to get himself open in games. If you ever watched film of Steve Alford's games and you watched how hard he worked to get himself open, and he must have run – you know, ten miles in every basketball game just to get open half the time. Right. I he was unbelievable, relentless at finding a way to get the ball in his hands in a shooting position, and he was phenomenal at doing it. And to this day, I'm not sure I've seen anybody that was more important as a shooter than Steve Alford. Let's put it that way. How about hmm,
0: that? That's good. That's good. That's, but but he, of course, as as we make our way to the '87 championship, somebody who's left behind as a player, but ends up there. Um, in another capacity, and who's a real lightning rod for controversy uh, in and around Indiana University, uh, basketball in particular, is Dan Dockage. Um, obviously, you you uh, have a relationship with Dan. What do you make of who he is to Indiana sports now and the level of controversy he causes around our beloved program? What's your take on that? Well,
2: Dan is a um, – he's not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> um, but he is a guy that is not afraid to speak his mind, whether it's right or wrong. Um, he is one of those people that, you know, after he got through coaching, decided to get into the broadcast world because he was offered an opportunity at, uh, at 1070 The Fan uh, to take over a position there. And he literally called me up two different times during that period where he was contemplating becoming an air personality, and just wanted to pick my brain on broadcasting uh, and, and what I thought about his chances of being a good talk show guy. I said, "Well, Dan, I said you're is knowledgeable about. All, you're knowledgeable about all sports. I said, and you're really knowledgeable about basketball. You just came out of a coaching career. You know how to coach. Um, obviously." The situation in Indiana when you were there as an assistant coach didn't go quite like you'd like, but I don't think anybody thought it was your fault. Uh, It was just the situation that took place at that point in time. But I said at the same time, you'll never have any problem getting guests on shows. You're gonna have a multitude of people that will wanna be on your program. I said, so you'll be able to get guests. You are articulate about sports in every way, shape, and form because you've got the background uh, as a coach and as a player. I said, you're you're a shoe in there if you do it the right way. And he said, well, what, what's the right way? And I said, well, whatever you feel like you can do in that regard. And I said, who, who do you revere that you've listened to in sports talk? He goes, well, a guy named Pete Franklin. And I said, Pete Franklin at 3WE in Cleveland? He was the first sports rock jock, so to speak, mm-hmm. that, that ripped people. I mean, Pete Franklin was uh, an icon in the sense of a shock radio guy that was involved in sports Mm because he would he did the same thing. Dan does now. He threw people off the air. If they said something he thought was stupid or or not funny or whatever the case may be, or if it didn't agree with his philosophy or his thinking process, I said, I didn't say to do Pete Franklin, (laughs) (laughs) but, but I, but he said, he said, that's who I've listened to and I've really enjoyed listening to the guy. And I said, well, just be yourself. Uh, and I said, if you, if you just do it the way you think you should do it and you're yourself and you're honest about it, I said, you're not going to have any problems because you're articulate enough and you'll get the job done. Well, he's been on the air for what? I don't know how many years now. Yeah.
1: Again. Yeah. decade. Seems, been, seems like
2: Been, and, and he's had a very successful show and maybe every, he's not everybody's cup of tea, so to speak, but I've been on his show uh, every Monday. Around 1230 for the last seven years or so, maybe eight, whatever it's been um, during football basketball season, he never puts me on the spot. I mean, he might ask me a question, you know, based on what he's thinking at that point in time that and but he's never really put me in a position where I had to be, Dan, I can't talk about that or that. He's never done that to me. Mm -hmm. And it's because we have a good relationship. Um, I like Dan a lot. I, I don't agree with everything he says when it comes to IU, but at the same time, it's his opinion. And and he's got a lot of connections down in Bloomington. There's no question about that. Now, whether he's always gotten the straight scoop or not, I don't know. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, he has really riled up a lot of Hoosier fans and a lot of Hoosier fans agree with him, and a lot of Hoosier fans don't like what he says. But at the same time, Dan is his own man, and I give him credit for
1: that. All right. So the 1987 championship team, um, if you compare talent level to the 81 team, which had Isaiah on it and Landon Turner, who, and Ray Tolbert, you know, and and yeah, I mean like lots of talent and the 76 team we've already gone over. The 87 team does not have that level of talent. Do you, what do you make of that year? Uh, The team was good all year. They won the Big Ten. They were number one in the country for various weeks in the year. They were a number one seed. But it seems like what Coach Knight did with that team is about as remarkable of what you can do in college basketball. What what was your take on that 87 championship team?
2: I think it's the best coaching job that he's ever done Mm. because I think the talent level of that team was not anywhere near 76. And I certainly don't think it was as good as 81. So that, that team, I mean, they had two junior college players.
1: Yeah, in and their team, first year.
2: Dean Garrett, in their first years at IU. So when you look at what that team did and what they accomplished, it's all Bob Knight. To me, it's his best coaching job. There was no team that accomplished that much with that little talent. And I don't mean that there weren't talented guys. But Steve Alford was not fast. He wasn't athletic. He had a four-year career in the NBA with Dallas, and I think they kept him on because he's Steve Alford. Not because he was a great player. I'm not saying – I'm not being negative about Steve, but he didn't get a lot of playing time. He was never a pro's pro, if you know what I'm saying. Sure. That's not a negative on Steve at all because he accomplished more with his limited athleticism and quickness and, as Coach Knight would say, defensive prowess. (laughs) (laughs) But he did. I mean, when you think about what Steve did, he did everything Coach Knight asked him to do. And Coach Knight was as tough on him as a star player as anybody he ever coached. Mm. So when you think about Steve Alford, I just think about, number one, his great shooting ability, and number two, his mental toughness, because mm. that guy was a tough dude. And he did, he put up with a lot, and he handled a lot, when you consider he was on the Olympic team. And a lot of people looked at that as, what is he doing on the Olympic team? And then he proves him wrong in the sense of he contributed pretty grammatically dramatically. Uh, to that Olympic team.
1: Unbelievable. I mean, I think he was in the gold medal game. I think he was the third leading scorer on the team. I think for the Olympics overall, he was like the third or fourth leading scorer on the team. He averaged double digits. It's insane. It's just insane. And that's a team that Charles Barkley got cut from. I mean, it's remarkable. I don't even
2: know what Charles is saying about that anymore. Now, I I, I don't know. Well, he he really credits him.
1: He, in in hindsight, Charles looks back at that and says, Coach Knight was right. Like, he didn't like it then. But it made him take himself more seriously and take the game more seriously. And Charles, I've heard him talk about it, where he says he wasn't taking it seriously. He was so talented, Charles, for for what he was. He was overweight. He wasn't that tall. He had so much talent to be able to overcome all that. But he didn't take the game really seriously. And that helped focus him. Right. So it's...
2: And, and I'm not surprised by that. I really am not that he would say that because Charles Barkley was a phenomenal talent for a guy that was a fat overweight guy.
1: You know, and also, doesn't it also seem fish that if you were to pick a player who is most like coach Knight, it would be Charles Barkley. In a lot like, of ways. There's just so many similarities there. Of just well, like- he would
2: say Charles, Charles Barkley will say whatever he thinks. I yes. Mean, Yes. It if he's right or wrong, or he's kind of like uh, like Knight in that regard, if he thinks if he thinks something is the right way, he's going to say it, whether you like it or not. You know. Yes. So yeah, there's no question. But but honestly, I just think Steve Alford was just an average basketball player at the college level who made himself a star mm-hmm. because of how hard he worked at it.
0: Yeah. Somebody who had phenomenal talent and gave us some incredible moments but is maybe the greatest what could have been story followed steve uh and it's jay edwards what what you know i mean obviously we all think about what could have been but there was some incredible moments what was it like watching jay play where would you put him on a pure talent level uh with with those guys you've seen
2: well, honestly, he's probably as talented as anybody that's played at IU with the exception of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. I mean just from a pure talent standpoint, because the guy was a phenomenal shooter. Um, he never looked like he was going hard. Right. Yet he was going hard. You know, he was so smooth. He was a terrific athlete. Um, and he was he was he had the same kind of confident air about him that Steve Alfred had. He was one of those guys that believed in his talent and believed in his abilities. Um, the biggest problem with Jay was that he liked to party.
1: <laughs> right. I
2: mean, and, 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 you know, I, I'm not going to go there and tell a couple of tales that I could, because one of my boys was at IU at the same time.
1: Jay was. Oh boy. Oh boy.
2: And so, and neither one of them, I don't think, ever missed a party they did or never uh, went to. Didn't go to any. They went to every party they could possibly go to. <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate, long story short, a phenomenal talent. Um, he had three of the greatest shots in Indiana history with those shots that he made in beating Purdue and Michigan and almost beating Illinois. With one of the more incredible shots ever made because he shot it as he was flying out of bounds and the ball went over the backboard, over the top of the backboard and went down. And there was like three seconds left and freaking Illinois gets an Nick inbound. Anderson. Pass, Nick Anderson. Ugh. And the next thing you know, he knocks it in from 35 and Indiana gets beat that game. Or it would have been three of the greatest
1: Indiana shots ever taken in three consecutive weekends. Correct. I mean, just insane. Uh, Listen, Fish, we've we've held you now for an hour and forty minutes. Here's the deal: first part, we got your childhood through the early seventies. Second part, we've gotten to about nineteen ninety. We've got another thirty years or so of Indiana to talk to you about. We got to revisit this in a couple months and do a part three. Are you up for it? You're, you're asking me on air, off air. No, right. <laughs> no. Look, you never have to pick up the phone again. So you just say yes now to look good. And then it's our fault.
2: We, we can do the problem with the last, the last 25 or 30 years has been, we don't have as much to talk about. <laughs> yeah,
0: It'll be like a 20 minute episode.
1: It'll be quick. Fish. Yes. We'll do something again. Fish, awesome. your spirit is infectious. Your voice is synonymous with the story of Indiana basketball. And and I meant it when I talked about how your ascension as a star, you know, mirrored the Indiana story of the 70s and 80s.
2: Well, that's, because, one, that's one thing I want to say. Yeah. If you think about it, I mean, my, my rise as a play-by-play guy and all that kind of stuff, and think about this we had 60 some radio stations on our network back in the day. We don't have that many anymore radios changed so much, but we still have a great listening audience. But the fact of the matter is in those days I was setting up the network as best I could. And, and basically I was calling affiliate or stations to become affiliates for IU's radio network. So we had 50 or 60 stations for about a seven to 10 year period there from about 75 on and and when you have that many people listening to you including play by play guys from other high schools and things like that your name is out there you have more familiarity with people you're going to if you get on a ballot your chances of winning are a lot better than you know than yeah. the guys that that nobody gets to hear on a weekly or daily or whatever basis so i was very lucky uh, and the good lord like i said has blessed me in this way and i'm very humbled by it and i just don't take it for granted um the the one thing that i always hope is i i think i gotta i gotta make the right decision when it's time uh, to 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 hang it up
1: oh i don't even want to go i don't want to hear yeah. that
2: but it's going to happen at some 2050
0: point. 2050 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Apparently, you know something
1: I don't about my <laughs> Wait, before we let you go, though, I do want to ask, because you talked about those 60, 70 stations on that network. And you talked about, you know, the relationship that you have with so many people. One of those people became a billionaire because of your voice. Have you asked Mark Cuban to share some of his proceeds with you? Because that is as much your money as it is his.
2: (laughs) Well, the truth of the matter is I got introduced to Mark Cuban, um, at a Pacer game because he was there watching his Dallas Mavericks. And I was sitting, my wife, um, works for the Pacers and we had front row seats that night. Um, with uh, Shannon Walsh, Donnie Walsh's daughter, my wife and he, she are really close friends. And so we had really good seats that night. In fact, I've never paid for a Pacer ticket either
1: because my wife works for the Pacers. There you go. <laughs> you got this town. You got that state <laughs> wired.
2: Gotta, I got to love it. Got to love yeah. it. So <laughs> at any rate, uh, so um, Mark Cuban's down the way and the there's a female sports information director um, And I'm spacing out her name right now, and it makes me sick that I'm doing this because she'll probably see it and she'll call me up and go, "What?" The heck? I can't my name, but I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. But you remember Greg Elkin? Now, do you know who Greg Elkin was? He was a no. yeah. oh, I don't. He was an SID at Indiana back in the day. Yeah. And he went to Dallas, and he became the SID for the Dallas Mavericks at one point. Oh, okay. And cool. Then he gave up the job to this girl that he the gal that was she worked with him at IU. He hired her there to be his assistant, and then she became the SI or the uh, media relations director for Dallas for the Mavericks. So she's there, and I and I, I saw that uh, Cuban was sitting down the down the way, and I brought her over and I said, "I need to be introduced to Mark Cuban." I said, "This guy uh, developed his uh, his broadcast station, or, or so he could hear the broadcast of IU games. That's how he got started in this business where he made all this money." i said i need to be introduced to this guy yeah He we'll get that done so she she goes down there she goes uh Don fisher wants to meet you and he goes oh yeah yeah so he comes down we shake hands i said mark i really appreciate you coming down to shake hands with me i never met you i said but i know i did a lot for your for your career <laughs> <laughs> he goes yeah he says what's that i go Well, I know you started your business so you could hear IU basketball and football or IU basketball games, I said, through the years. I said, I know you made tons of money. Do I get a piece of that action or not? (laughs) He starts laughing. He says, ain't going to (laughs)
0: happen. That's great. And that's why he has billions of dollars. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, then I get one more question, too, real quick, because we're looking at the footballs behind you. I mean, I know how I'm feeling about the Colts off season. How are you feeling about the Colts off season?
2: Well, you know what? I think Chris Ballard is a, is a very good general manager. I do. I think he's really smart. Um, but I, I think they they addressed a lot of the weaknesses from last year's team. I think getting Ryan is going to be terrific for him because I think he's got a couple of really good years left in him. I think he's a, a, a very smart guy. Um I think so. They've got they've, they're better at quarterback. I think they've got a, one of the great running backs, the young running backs in the country uh, over the last two or three years. Now this guy, Jonathan Taylor, is special. Oh yeah. So they've got the they've got the talent there. Uh, the wide receiving core, I think they've addressed that. I hope these guys that they're bringing in are as good as as, as they should be or could be. Uh, I've always thought Paris Campbell was going to be a factor, and he's been hurt his entire career. Um, hopefully if he can stay healthy, maybe that helps them. I don't know if they'll sign T Y again. I think their offensive line is really good, but they got a couple of spots to fill there too. We'll see how that goes. I think they've addressed that offensive tackle position with a, with a first year guy, but that's always tough.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. They got prior there in the meantime, I think between the two of them, they'll be able to get it done.
2: Exactly. And I, I I do think that I think defensively, they're pretty good defensive football team. Yeah. But they give up they, last year. They gave up too many big plays and they've got to keep, they got to stay healthy, they're like any other football team period. These days, if you get a bunch of guys hurt, you're in trouble. Uh, I do think they're going to be a better football team this coming season. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I was not a, a upset with them last year until the end. I mean, right. they was just so disappointing. It made me feel like it was IU all over
1: again. <laughs> I. I do want to just jump in and, and remind, as, as I see Ward getting very happy with you running through all of the positive stories here about the Colts, I do want to remind everybody that at the beginning of this conversation, Fish did tell us that he enters every season, including the last 20 for Indiana, with the exception of one, with optimism. So maybe take it with a grain of salt. Well, why do you think I
0: asked? I knew I would get the kind of answer I want. Trust
2: me. Trust me, boy, nobody wants to go on my predictions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's like me too. If I fill out an NCAA tournament poll, a bracket, Indiana's in the final four on every one of them. Every one of them. (laughs) Even the ones that are not even in the tournament. So, Fish, we love you. Thank you for taking this time. It is just a joy to hear, just to hear you is a joy, but to get your insight and perspective and these stories they are everything to us fans. So thank you for everything you've done for us over the years without even knowing you're doing it.
2: <laughs> well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again.
0: Thanks fish. Have a great summer. You too. That was a guest. That was a guest. I didn't say goodbye again. It was, it was, so, it was pristine golden it silence. Feels at the end. It feels awful. It feels awful the thing was you could have thrown it in there after I, cause I said, have a great summer. Yes, and he was like, I know, yeah, but I, but that would have been a second goodbye. I'm fine with, you could have three goodbyes if you want, as long as I get my first and only one in before you get your second or third. So
1: you're saying usually I do two goodbyes before you get one. goodbye. And yeah. <laughs> your, your
0: second one's coming in on top of my first.
1: <laughs> coming in on the top. Uh, Man, I just love hearing him. I mean, just the timber and tone of his voice is awesome. He could read the phone book, and I'd be happy.
0: That could be part three. Here's the phone book. It's the Bloomington one. It's from 2011. But what it started to overwhelm me when I looked at the clock, and I'd realized we're barely scratching the surface here. We're still in the eighties, you know, and then we're just scratching the surface of the eighties. Oh yeah. We're just like, it felt like we're just skimming across the top. Just the, the tippy tip tip of the iceberg of what this man knows and has seen. And it's, it's one of those ones where it's like, well, hopefully we can get another volume three, volume four, maybe, but that you want him to, to put it all down. Like, Write a book. I mean, you want him to write a book. Write a book or at least just... You know, take a couple hours a week from now until forever and just r- like speak it into a, uh, uh, you know, I- into existence. So then at some point, you know, if if uh, hopefully he would, I bet he would be great at putting a book together himself. Forget a ghostwriter if it's just like so laborious. But I mean, that thing's going to end up being like the Encyclopedia Britannica. It, it would yeah. be incredible.
1: No, I hear you. There's just too much. It's so it's so vast that it's difficult to know what to focus on so you just kind of lead him through and whatever pops to his head we're just like give us more what what i the stories are great the corso stuff the, there's just so much you know i love the mallory stuff just getting like the feel of what that mallory staff was like is so cool it's so much yeah better to me than like just recapping games, you know, what, because we've heard su- him do the games.
0: Yeah. And how surprising is it that like, okay, he's not partying like in Philadelphia in 81 or new Orleans in 87. Oh, but he is partying in Birmingham with the football team. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I just love him. It's, it's awesome to hear him. He's such a legend. He's so important to the Indiana university basketball story. It, it's funny because, I think for most people of our age and older, Bob Knight is the dominant figure in IU athletics. There is there is zero doubt about that. Correct. But Bob Knight was there for 29 years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Don Fisher is now there for 50. Don Fisher is the dominant figure in IU athletics overall, not, not just one sport. He He is just so tied to our experiencing to so many people's experiencing those sports i, I know he's say, not a coach
0: or an athlete i wouldn't say dominant because he's never felt like he's dominated it but he's ubiquitous like yeah he is, he ubiquitous is ubiquitous ubiquitous. that's a
1: better word you smart ass boom yeah i'm shocked you were able to pronounce it correctly
0: <laughs> well if i hadn't i'm sure you would have told me all about Spell it, it spell you it be you be Iquitous. <laughs> <laughs> you be equitous that sounds like an insult you yeah. be
1: Iquitous. yeah you be equitous <laughs> um, awesome follow us on twitter at who's your hysterics for the hysterics no e no i but, but the sometimes, sometimes why we'll hit you next week
0: in the face <laughs> <laughs> From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Warden and Eric, And as you probably know by now, we're well, Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics! Hoosier Hysterics!